Check one, check two. Lock Talk Radio. returned to score a technical knockout. It was going to be a, a straight-up knockout anyway. But um, now what's next? How did he look? Um, the defense is a little shaky at times. There was a very solid undercard, by the way, full of really, really good eight-round bouts. Uh, actually, I think the one with Duke was six, now that I think about it. But it was a really, really solid undercard. So overall, we didn't have a busy, busy weekend, but we did get some quality fights, especially, like I said, on the undercard. Some some interesting prospects definitely got tested. So we're going to talk about that. But who is next? I mean, they name all these names, right? Um, Jose Ramirez, Zapata, Progray, Taylor, all these names, but most of them have fights lined up. You know, it's kind of funny. Like Barboza is the guy next. I mean, there is a different report potentially for uh, an eliminator at the, at the weight class. Um, what was it? The WBA or something? I think it's WBA. I don't know. Sometimes you lose track, but I do have it screenshot someplace. So I guess there's an outside chance for that one, but Barboza, especially, if he returns in December, what would they say? December 11th, I believe it was. Um, and this is something we talked about on the show. I definitely had a, you know, the preview prediction segment wasn't long. And obviously we saw in the ring why wasn't, it's not that the fight wasn't competitive within a round for spots, you know, because it was. But the amount of rounds, you know, that Teofimo Lopez won and how he won ultimately were, you know, wasn't really worth having a big breakdown or whatever on the fight. But even in the article that I write every weekend, pretty much anyway, about boxing, you know, it basically was like, who, who's next? You know, and I, I went through a variety of stuff just like I did on the show. And Barboza seems like he's next, especially, like I said, with that uh, post-Heisman uh, award show ceremony that they have on ESPN. 
Uh, ever since Top Rate got that deal, they've been taking advantage of that uh, pop in rating that you get. Which would be great for Tiafimo to return on that Barboza's quality operator. You know, he's a solid top 10 guy. So I, I wouldn't mind that fight at all. Now, I, the big thing that they were talking about is belts. You know, whether it's junior or senior Tiafimo Lopez, they were talking about we want the opponent to have a belt. So, you know, I guess that may be an issue. <laughs> but Barboza, you know, that's a... That's a legit fight, too. Kind of an interesting style matchup. But either way, like I said, but I like the Zapata or Progre. Yeah, I'd love it, but they're going to fight each other. Jose Ramirez is due for that fight. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. And obviously, we got a big, big fight weekend coming up. I mean, the rematch between Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua is on. And by the way, do have news finally that it's going to be on the zone here in the states and it's not going to be pay-per-view a lot of people were wondering are they going to try to pay-per-view it here we were really hoping not uh, whoever won it whether it was espn plus uh it seemed like espn plus in in uh you know well maybe espn whatever and the zone seemed like the front runners the zone did get it done and we were thinking man are we going to get another pay-per-view you know because we got some coming up you know, we got, what, right now, it'll probably be five in the last four months. Two in September, one in October, one in November, one in December. And that's like the bigger pay-per-views that, you know, people know. We're not talking about the ones they'll slip in for 30 or 50 bucks. Uh, like they just tried to uh, Triller, which uh, sounds like they didn't pay somebody or, or didn't show they had the money or whatever. Uh, with the Tevin Farmer and what's the Stelis fight. We'll talk a little bit about that, but we're not going to obviously break that down too much. But it's not on pay-per-view, so, you know, we are happy. We've gotten a little break ever since, what, June, July, and August. We didn't get a pay-per-view, uh, but we had that, what was it, three three pay-per-views in, in a matter of four weeks, and I think four in less than two months in April and May. So they hit us up. They hit us up early in January, February, the PBC did, and then those, that Don King pay-per-view, which that's an issue there, too. <laughs> uh, Mickey Bay was, was who he, uh, who Farmer was going to, um, someone just uh, messaged me that. Yeah, it, it was Mickey Bay. They've been trying to fight a couple times. But anyway, Usyk and AJ, can Anthony Joshua make the necessary adjustment? You know the old saying, throw everything but the kitchen sink? He may have to throw the damn kitchen sink and use the pipes below to hit him in the head. But he's got to be aggressive. We know he's got an arsenal on offense. We've seen it time and time again. It's time to just let loose because you're going to get hit really hard and flush anyway. If you fight at range or try to do this outboxing thing, try to engage in a skill fest with Usyk. We saw what happened last time. Now, it's not – I don't think this is a foregone conclusion, this rematch. Uh, I mean, do I favor Usyk? Yeah, I do. I do. Because the thing is, the more aggressive and the more pressure that Anthony Joshua brings, the more he's open defensively as well. So I do think he's going to have to hurt Usyk, drop him. I'm not saying he's, 
he, the only way for him to win is a knockout because he could hurt him, change Usyk's style up a little bit, and, you know, make him more tentative. If he hurt him within the first whatever, you know, three, five rounds or yeah, something like that early in the fight, it may change up Usyk in general, and he could be on the move a lot more um, to where he's not scoring really, really, you know, telling blows like he did. I mean, the punches he was landing in that first fight were pretty damn impressive, if I do say so myself, which I do. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm interested, though, in this matchup. Like I said, we now have news that it is uh, a non-pay-per-view on DAZN. I'm sure DAZN's really happy to get that after losing it, you know, in their main base in the U.K. So um, that's definitely a win. And then we have, you know, some other cards coming up. Showtime and ESPN has uh, some fights going on. Uh, Navarrete, or Navarrete, however you want to say it, and Baez. Uh, that could be an interesting, just fun fight to watch. Uh, there might be some interesting stuff. We'll talk about the undercard a little bit. And then the Showtime, well, I say triple header, but it's actually a quadruple header. It will not involve Adrian Broner. He is, you know, this is what he says. We'll talk, you know, a little bit about this, but he says he's having some issues, mental health issues, and he's not prepared to fight. You know, do with that what you will. Some people are dogging him. Either way, like if he would have went in there and not right and looked like shit, they would have dogged him. They're going to dog him for not going in there. It is what it is. Uh, Omar Figueroa had some choice words, which – I get it from his side, but also, hey, dude, didn't you say you battled with mental health? I mean, I, I don't know. I really don't know. But either way, um, Sergey Lipinets is a quality opponent, no doubt about it. Now, was his fight going to be right around 140 this time? Because I remember him saying that he wants to go to 140 a while back, and, I, and I'm pretty sure after that Ennis fight, the Boots-Ennis fight, I'm pretty sure he said he was going to go back to 140, if I remember correctly. I wonder if they're not going to have to be like 140-something, 142 or something. I don't know. I haven't really heard much about that. Um, but Sergey Lipinets, for a fill-in, you know, a replacement opponent the week of, is a great replacement the week of, if you think about it. I mean, Lipinets is better at 140 anyway than he is 147. We already know that. And uh, the key thing is here is he was already fighting on the card. So he's had training camp. He's ready to fight. It's not like somebody's like, well, I've been working on my skills. I'm in pretty good shape. You know, he's ready. He was going to fight. So, like I said, maybe there will be some weight tweaks. Maybe Lipinitz was going to weigh in right at 140 or right around that anyway. So either way. It's a quality, quality, and it's it's replacement fighter, you know. It's and it's uh, it's a good fight. It's not. I mean, it's a crossroads fight, really, kind of for both of them anyway. Now, Figueroa and Broner were both coming off of uh, really lackluster, poor performances. So the intrigue on the cross crossroads did interest me in that way. I thought potentially if both guys. Uh, came properly prepared for fights because that's with both Figueroa and Broner. Let's be honest, that's been the issue. Um, 
once they're in shape and they're ready to go, they're they're usually fun fighters to watch. There's no doubt about that. You, this if this fight happened five years ago or something, you know that'd be a really good fight. But and it was supposed to happen as we know. But yeah, Figueroa and Broner is off. But like I said, Lipinets. That's a quality fight. That's a good mid-level fight. Whoever you know wins this fight, if it is right around 140, they'll probably be in the top 10 rankings or at least knocking on a door. This will get them a bigger fight at 140, no doubt about it. And to be fair, like I had interest in the main event, but really the, the two fights below the main event are what really piqued my interest in this card. So I think as far as cards go, you know, the top, let's say, four to five fights, four fights, uh, I guess there's four fights on this broadcast now because Brandon Lee uh, in Moderna, what, what's his name? Anyway, that got moved because, remember, that was on the Jake Paul uh, undercard. So I like this this card. Like, as far as the top, what was I saying, four fights or whatever, this is the best card of the weekend when it comes to that. Now, the main event, obviously, what stands out is Usyk and AJ. And, um, but I am excited to see Lipinitz and Figueroa, and Navarrete and Baez is not that bad of a fight. I, I haven't heard too many people talking about this fight for obvious reasons. There's a lot of fights this weekend, and Usyk and AJ stands out. But that should be a banger. By, that opponent, Navarrete, kind of, kind of, I don't know. How many fights has he had at 126? I'll check that out, because otherwise, I mean... He's coming off a, a good performance against Aleem, who is a very solid, pretty high-level dude at, at, at 122. He, he needs, you know, to get a bigger opportunity there to really show what he's got. But that could be an interesting fight, too. I know Navarrete is, is coming off of a long layoff, too, for him, because he's been a very active fighter. Because I don't think he's fought since, well, the fall time. Was it November, October? I don't know. Anyway. We will get into a little bit more news as well. Briefly touch upon the Sprint, uh, Spence, the Sprints, the Spence and Crawford news that Dan Raphael was talking about. There's really not much there. A little undercard talk. Um, Tyson Fury has retired again. <laughs> there was that whole thing of Sugar Hill's not his trainer anymore and Isaac Lowe is his new head trainer and, and then oh by the way I'm retiring. It just so happens to be in the run up to this fight. Uh but he did I guess he did drop they dropped the lineal rank. So that will be something I believe at stake. Yeah, it will be. Um, I saw someone on Twitter saying it's not going to be because it won't be in time. I'm like, what are you talking about, in time? Um, but the Ring Magazine lineal will be at stake, Usyk and AJ, um, in that rematch. And So we'll, we, we have a long preview section. And I kind of miss – I kind of mistook how many damn fights are this weekend, especially even on the undercards. Like I said, that Showtime triple header, we're going to preview some of those undercard fights. Um, there could even be something that pops off on the uh, undercard for ESPN as well. The Usyk AJ, there's a there's a heavyweight fight that could be interesting a little bit, but other than that, I don't really have a lot of interest in the undercard. But we'll get to that. Uh, there is a little bit of news of Deontay Wilder returning uh, in October at the Barclays, so there is fight news out there. 
But I guess what I'm trying to say is we're not going to do that pay-per-view segment today. There's just too many fights. That's that's out of the ring. And you know how like we like to stay in the ring as much as possible on the show? Sometimes, you know, it just happens. Uh, but that segment, we're going to do it probably next week, if not the week that – we're going to do it in August for sure. We're going to do it in August. And that, that segment about pay-per-view, it's basically like – Looking back at the 20-plus years, and really more than that, uh, of pay-per-views, you know, um, and basically, like, what's the worst paper as a fan? Because we, you know, if you've been a fan long enough, we've all bought stinker pay-per-views. And it's funny because some of these pay-per-views that do, you know, really, really bigger numbers than the pay-per-views do now, they were boring-ass fights, you know. And there's been some really good, like the Golovkin-Jacobs card. Uh, the main event in the co-feature was really, really good. I mean, there's that Charlo doubleheader where there was, what, five or six fights? I think it was six fights. Yeah, it was two triple headers. That was pretty damn good. So um, we're just going to kind of go through. They're, they're just surprising names and surprising numbers uh, because a lot of people just kind of look at pay-per-view now like, oh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, they would never do a pay-per-view like this. And and we've been, you know, any kind of fight that shouldn't be on pay-per-view, like a Thurman Barrios or, or some of these even knockoff, you know, the Ortiz-Martin shouldn't have been on pay-per-view, right? But, you know, these aren't the only fights that shouldn't have been on pay-per-view. And I really kind of see a lot of even comments after someone will talk about like, let's say, Hellenius and Wilder as a main event pay-per-view. I understand pushback from that. I get that. But um, when I see the comments below, and sometimes a media member will like the comment or retweet the comment, you're like, wow, really? It just it, It's like shitty pay-per-views have been around for a long, long time. And it's funny when you hear shit now, like, like we do have too many pay-per-views in this calendar year. That's obvious. We've been talking about that. We're, we're well over 10 this year. Uh, and that's not even counting those, those little, little ones, you know, those ones that you're like, oh, that's, that's a pay-per-view for 30 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever. So it's just people act like there hasn't been fights that shouldn't have been on pay-per-view. They act, it's kind of like the romanticizing HBO, right? And it's just some of it's funny. Some of it's like, dude, when you see the numbers, they act like nothing was under 250. Like they wouldn't even make a fight if it wasn't going to do 350,000 back then on pay-per-view. And I just see all these silly comments that it's just, it's just funny. So like I said, pay-per-view has been an issue for a long, long time, but it's here. It's here. So just pick and choose the ones you like. Like we've said all along, Entertainment value. Everybody has a different description of entertainment value. Some people think wrestling is their, you know, one of their favorite sports to watch. I get it. I don't watch it now. I did when I was younger. I'm just not into it, but I'm not going to sit there and rip people for it. Um, but, yeah, everybody has a different entertainment value, and it's, it's kind of funny to see some of these comments. But just because we have so much in-the-ring stuff, Let's hold that off, and I know I'm, I'm already seeing them getting messages. I haven't read them yet, but I'm sure they're saying, oh, you du- you're ducking them. We're not going to duck them, dude. Just calm the fuck down, okay? 
Um, we're going to get it done in August for you, okay? <laughs> um, it will be either next week or the week after. We'll, we'll do that bit because it's fun to go through some of these names. You're like, oh, shit, I forgot about that fight. And even, like I said, quality fights on paper or maybe just past their prime fights like the, the Roy Jones and B-Hop. I got to stop. I got to stop. I got to stop. We're, we're, we're sitting there breaking down the segment that I said we're not going to do. Anyway, if this is your first time listening to the Rope-A-Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope-A-Dope Radio. You don't have to go to Block Talk and Rope-A-Dope and download the show directly or listen to it in the browser if you don't want to. You can find the platform on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, TuneIn, Spricker, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, a variety of different places. While you're at it, why don't you head on over to thegruelingtruth.com. And one more thing, if you're thinking about cutting the cord or you have, you're not quite happy, i got something for you. It's called Direct TV Stream. And they've been giving deals out left and right. It keeps changing. I'll get an email. I'll be, oh, shit, okay. So this is a deal that's going to last for a limited time offer again, but it does seem like it's going to be here for a little bit, okay? So for the first two months, the the, the starting price is forty nine ninety nine for two months. Thereafter, it'll be sixty nine ninety nine. You can also sign up and get these prices for twelve months straight if you want to. Um, you can also try it out for seven days as well. But if you upgrade to the choice and ultimate package for three months, that will include. HBO Max, Showtime, Stars, Epics, and Cinemax. Something to think about. And also, that Showtime deal is still going on through DirecTV Stream. The uh, $5.50 a month uh, for three months. So there's still some really good deals. You should probably get it figured out here as we get to the fall where there's a lot more sports on cable TV. That's DirecTV Stream. Okay. And uh, I, I do get messages Someone saying that I got an HBO or I mean a Showtime, uh, you know, sponsorship, and that that's not true. That's not true at all. I've let you guys know about ProBox app. I let you know about the Triller stuff when it was first coming out, the different packages. I always talk about boxing stuff. It just Showtime's putting on really good fights. They they for me and many many people that actually just watch the sport and not are you know overly biased. We know Showtime had the best fights last year, and this year, let's see how they close. But they've had some pretty damn good fights. So I'm just, when there's a deal to be had, I'm telling you the deal. We talked about how DAZN last, you know, week or the week after. Still, for, you know, under $13, I can get DAZN per month by just paying 150 bucks straight up. That's still a good deal for me, you know, on the hardcore boxing side of it. I think it's a really good deal still. So anyway, um, but yeah, I don't have <laughs> I don't have that. Okay, I don't have a, I don't have a, an ad. Showtime does not pay me to say that. It's just you know, they're uh, they're if you have cable, you can get Showtime. Otherwise, you can do it straight up. Anyway, um, let's get into the ring, shall we? Um, like I said, with the Teofimo Lopez and Compa fight. You couldn't really give, you know, I mean, the fifth round and the sixth rounds were definitely closer. 
so it's not like you get like Tiafimo didn't really lose many rounds in the fight, right? But there were moments that Kampa had some success, and it wasn't just like oh he landed a good combo there or something like that. You know what I mean? It was it was somewhat sustained. Um, Tiafimo did um, you know? Well, we'll talk about it because he. He was talking about two weeks of sparring in this camp. And I do want to address some of the stuff going on with him and his dad, too. Not, we know they've had their issues in the past, but not right now. But just statements that they talk about, you know, after the fight and before the fight. It just, it really kind of makes me wonder where they're at mentally, um, to be honest with you. Because it just seems like they can't grasp reality from just losing a fight, it's it's not a big deal. I understand it's easy to say that from the sidelines, like, oh, it's not a big deal. But, you know, to sit there and swear up and down that you want to fight 10-2, to 2, it's just like, come on, dude. You know, it's just weird, man. It's, it's just a little bit strange. And I don't know. They're, it just seems like their focus is every which where. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like, oh, it's over here. Oh, it's over here. We only care about this. However, you know, you're like, well, dude, what are you worried about what Floyd Mayweather says? Like, oh, now he's going to have that against us that we took a loss. But they keep, like, measuring themselves. It's cool to measure yourself with Mayweather, but as far as the success and the pay-per-view and the revenue generated, this was a lively crowd. But let's not act like it was a million-dollar game. They just seem like they're just focused on – Different stuff, man. And anyway, we'll get into that a little bit later. And, you know, who I think it's pretty obvious who they're going to fight. I think it really only comes down to probably two two, uh, two fighters. I mean, unless something happened with that Catterall fight and Josh Taylor came free, then I could see that. But Tiafimo had his jab going. He was kind of the jab and pot shots. And then he was starting to land his left hook as the fight went on. Uh, his looping right hand landed a fair amount um, in the early goings as well. Um, even like in the second round, the last 90 seconds, there were some success that Kampa had. You know, he was able to crowd Lopez on the ropes and land some pretty, pretty good shots. Um, in the third round, big right hand, more leaping left hooks. Uh, but once again, in these little spurts, Kampa had success. Now, I think the the movement, it seems like the movement was a little bit better in the fourth. Uh, he landed better. Lopez did as well overall. But then it comes right back to, like, the fifth round, and Kampa, or no, Lopez landed um, early right hand and then, like, a jab and pot chops kind of like to close the round. But the hard combinations, a few really good body shots and nice right hands, um, like a right-left combo by Kampa, he could have sold that round. He could have won that round. Um, but after that, you know, I'd say past the fifth round, Lopez was just in pot shot mode, landed very clean, uh, going to the body as well. I thought he did a pretty good job at that. 30 seconds into that seventh round, the last round, um, I think it was a right-left combo that knocked him down, um, you know, 
got right to the body, which I do like when you got a guy hurt. Um, still didn't forget about the jab, those leaping left hooks, of course. And it was just kind of like a, a flurry that led to a TKO. And he ended up getting the stoppage. He ended up getting the W. Um, so overall, a pretty good performance considering, um, you know, we talked about how his opponent did have kind of a shiny record, but he hadn't really beat anyone. He beat a prospect who hadn't really beat anyone either. So um, this was what it was, right? And he got the job done. But there are times where defensively it seems that he's leaky. You know, we've seen that in his career at times. Um, He kind of reminds me, and this is not an exact example, and I think he throws in more, you know, two-punch and maybe even three-punch combinations than uh, this guy. But Nonito Donaire, and hear me out on this one. Sometimes there was fights, and this is a while back now, you know, but kind of in the similar stage of his career, in a sense anyway, there would be times where rounds would go by, and I don't think he got hit nearly until he started moving up way higher in weight class. Nonito never really took a bunch of good shots. Uh, even in a fight like this, where Lopez did actually get hit a decent amount, considering. Um, but it's like there'll be rounds that go by where Donaire is just looking for his one big shot and an explosive shot, whether it, no matter what it's timing, right? Whether it's a lead or a counter, and it it just looked like Lopez at times was kind of looking for that big shot, and he would miss a fair amount or he was so focused on his offense that, boom, all of a sudden he's getting hit and then followed up getting hit. So he had been out of the ring for a while, and it does sound like, you know, it was pretty traumatic experience in the ring the last time out. And, you know, he had some health issues, like, you know, some very serious health issues. And so on one hand, I give him a ton of credit for making it through that fight with those health issues with Camposis, you know. Um, and he did a lot to get back in that fight. It wasn't this easy win by any stretch. Uh, it just wasn't. But when I hear him saying that, you know, physically, he knows himself physically more. But he talked about only sparring two weeks in camp. Now, I'm not saying you got to spar ten weeks or something like that, but it's like, huh. Maybe that's why he was a minor bit off, you know? That would make sense, that in the time out of the ring. But also, what type of physical stuff was going on at camp? Remember we heard, and this is obviously different, but it is internal stuff going on, the the Spence stuff, how he said when I started sparring, it did hurt at the start, and I had to, I was very sore, and I had to kind of work through it, and then it finally got better. It's, it's kind of vague because Tiafimo, I don't know, man. It's like on one hand, he wants everybody. On the other hand, he says, oh, they're not worthy of a fight yet. You know, and it's – I mean, I get some of the Ryan Garcia stuff, but because he hasn't even fought at 140 as far as any kind of named guy. He still has to prove himself at 35 by most people's, you know, thought process. But, yeah, I mean, they can play the game with the, the Taylor – Catterall winner, uh, the 
Zapata and Prograde winner, like I said. Even if you do fight the Taylor Catterall, that that's that's going to happen this fall more than likely. I think it what was it October was the working day was it September October I think it's October. So you're going to have to wait for that fight. He's not going to fight you, you know, six weeks after his fight or something like that. And same with the Zapata Prograde. I mean, unless Jose Ramirez can just be offered so much money that he would didn't like say I'm good, I won't fight Prograde or Zapata. I'll just go after the bigger money fight and see a female. Um, I mean, I guess there's a possibility because he could have his wedding and do his thing and then be ready for December. It's a possibility. Um, But it wouldn't be for a belt for either side. And I know, you know, that's a a big thing. Ramirez wants to get his belts back. And Zapata and Progre, I doubt that they're going to – drop the belt after that, you know, whoever wins that fight, hopefully we get a winner. It's not a draw. But at the end of the day, and then Ryan Garcia, Oscar came, Bob did say, hey, by the way, pause. Bob Aram did say, I'm open to talking to him and all that. But then Oscar kind of was there, talked about it, but then dipped, you know, dipped early, didn't talk about it much. We'll see if there's any progress there that they could make. That would be a major fight. I mean, if they could get that thing on ESPN, uh, I probably think it'd be a pay-per-view, to be honest with you. But it seems like the zone, when it comes to their guys that are main event fighters, not all of them, but, you know, I mean, if Munguia can only do a a split pay-per-view, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Tiafimo would, you know, because Tiafimo, if you ask them, they they might be on pay-per-view then. So, who knows? You know what I mean? I guess you can't 100% uh, count it out. But I think it's going to be Barbosa. I really do. I don't – I think as a promoter, you got to do what you got to do um, to talk about all these fights and all that. I get that. But I would probably say that it would be that. You know, I would probably say that it would be that. Um, that's my guess. Um that other WBA thing, this was Dan Raphael. Uh, he he tweeted just a little bit ago talking about how Sander Martin notified the WBA that he has withdrawn himself from consider- consideration, which probably means he has a fight, from a title eliminator versus O'Hara, O'Hara Davies. And, you know, what, what is O'Hara Davies doing in a title eliminator? You know, that, that kind of makes sense. With Martin out um, – what is it, Gaiesov, uh is the next up to face Davies in the liver if he accepts. And then he updated that saying he declined, uh, says he can't make the weight. So next up, the WBA will order Teofimo uh, Lopez to face Davies if Teofimo wins Saturday. This is obviously before the fight. So, um, you know, I guess, you, I don't know. I mean, I'd much rather him fight Barbosa's than the Davies. Because it's not like you're getting the title. You know? It's an eliminator. So it's not like you're just getting it. Now, you could put yourself right there. But he's probably right there after a win anyway. So who knows? We'll see. Um, I don't know. Would the WBA put some kind of extra, you know, regular belt on it or something? I don't know. So I know there is that vacant one that's on the, you know, 
on stake here um, on Saturday's undercard, which, by the way, should be a banger of a fight. That should be a fun fight. As far as two-way action and competitiveness, that could steal the, the, the weekend. That could, potentially. Anyway, and then usually when there is a vacated belt, this isn't always, but generally speaking, you do see a mandatory come pretty quick after that. So I guess maybe they think, well, shit, you know, maybe I will do that. I don't know. Um, but back to Barboza's, when you got Barboza's on the undercard or on the on the stable with you in top rank, it just seems like it just seems like the most sense, doesn't it? I mean, if we're being honest, you know what I mean. I think probably. I think that's probably what's going to happen. Now we did have. Uh, uh, Xander Zayez uh, fight um, and look really good doing it. We know that he missed, you know, from being sick or whatever. He missed, uh, was it strep throat? What was it? I still understand why they, this is a side note, but I still understand why they had to have him do that video. For, you know, it's like, come on, man. You know, it's just weird. He's all crying and shit. And, hey, I like athletes that cry. It shows they care. I'm not ripping him for crying. But uh, it's just, just kind of like, we don't need him. He didn't need to do that, dude. But, hey, he did it. Um, <clears throat> but he looked good. He looked pretty damn good. He, he definitely, um, I mean, right off the bat, landed a, what it was, a left hook. <laughs> he landed that left hook and then just walked off. It, it was kind of slick, actually. Um, the rest of the way, several flush, you know, shots. In the last part, that Espadas was Espadas, something like that. Um, he he actually did okay. He actually did landed some decent lands down the stretch. Uh, I'd say his biggest punch in the fight was the right hand. Um, but back to Zayas, lead right hands behind a nice jab. Um, just clearly went in the rounds. There was, like, that third round, there, I did note that he did actually get hit with a couple of hard punches. You're going to get hit in boxing, but it's how flush the shots are, and then do you keep getting, and we're talking about prospect stuff here, and even when you're a contender trying to be a champ, right? Even, like, like I said, you're going to get hit, right? Copy box is there for a reason. You're going to get hit, but it's a matter of if you keep get like, if you get hit flush, and then get hit, hit with that same shot throughout the fight, then you start to go, hmm. So, and we did see that a little bit of late with him. Not crazy, though, but, you know, he didn't lose back-to-back fights or anything like that. But um, I'd say that's the only thing that was there. But he was he was really... By the fourth round, he was really unloading shots. And I think some of that... Like that fourth round, he closed with a big right hand in 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 left hand of the body. I mean, he was mixing up nice. Um, he threw a combination that ended with a right hand. That was the TKO, eighty-five to thirty-seven as far as land, you know, land advantage. He looked pretty damn good, man. He looked pretty good. I mean, he looked solid. So it was a good performance for him. It'll be interesting to see where they go with him. But I did like what I saw out of him in the fight, no doubt. Um, now, the undercard, there was a fair amount of eight-rounders. And even though that Duke-Reagan uh, fight was a six-rounder, 
there was some really solid eight rounders on this card. Um, speaking of six rounder, Troy Isley uh, pretty much boxed uh, Victor Tony to a, I think it was a six rounder. Yeah, it was a six rounder. Uh, but Duke did D'Angelo Fuentes. He was an unbeaten prospect, seven and zero as well against six and zero. This was a good match. This was a good matchmaking here, and kudos to top rank for this undercard. Um, the co-feature wasn't some kind of great matchup, but when you look at some of their eight rounders, they were really solid. This was a good like. Sometimes these streams, and I'm talking about you know everybody that streams five hours worth of boxing, six hours worth of boxing. A lot of these are walkovers. We talk about it all the time, and especially when you're a prospect and whatnot. But um, this was equally matched stuff, or at least real test. Like Duke got a real test. There's just no doubt about it. I gave him the first round. It was a competitive ass round, though. You could have given Fuentes the second round. Um, his overhand rights, his left hook. Later in that round, he landed some more overhand rights. I gave him the second round. Um, it's not like Reagan didn't do anything. You know, he landed his own right hands to the head, and, and he was showing uh, good body work. It did seem like in rounds three and four, he was he was boxing a little bit more, using the jab, landing the right hand. Um, but then I thought Fuentes won the fifth round, too, that pressure and just – on the inside, he was landing the better shots, and it seemed like when Duke wasn't on the inside and at range or on the move, he was winning the fight. Uh, the the sixth round was competitive. I gave it to Reagan, but it was 58-56 uh, for two, and then 59-55. Once again, a good test for Duke. Now he's 7-0, and only has one KO, and a lot of people you know, are kind of like looking at that like, hmm, so the dude doesn't have any power. Okay, you know, but... We'll see, because he is, Bradley did talk about how these fights do add up to becoming a better pro, too, you know? It's just a matter of, I don't know, at one hand, you want to see a prospect get tested, right? Sometimes if they get tested too early, they'll lose, right? And you're like, oh, maybe you shouldn't have done that. It'll be interesting to see as he steps up uh, with what appears to be a lack of power right now, um, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But there is the flip side of what Bradley was saying, just to finish that point, was, you know, if you face 14 guys and you knock them out within the first three rounds or whatever, you're not getting much out of that either. You're probably getting more out of your sparring sessions during training camp. So sometimes it can show, man, Duke, Duke got hit too much. Or, oh, man, he was in this, this is a competitive fight. Well, he wasn't fighting just a walkover, guys. So we'll see. We'll see where he ends up. Another one was that uh, Jose Enrique Vives against uh, Valencia. That was a good competitive fight, too. Um, I had the, the opening round was just fun right off the bat. It was competitive pretty much throughout. Um, I did give Vives the first three rounds. The, there was a really – it was a close third round. I thought the body work in the short uppercuts – um, especially when they were really close to each other. I thought that's kind of what did it for uh, Divas in that second round. But then uh, Valenzuela, like he, he made a little run. I gave him the fourth in the fifth. There was give and take. He was on the ropes. That was kind of the tell the, the, the story of the fight because uh, Valencia was on the ropes a lot, 
And sometimes he was very effective, landing the better shots off the ropes. Other times later in the fight, not as much. So it kind of went both there, kind of went back and forth there. Um, the fifth round, both of them were just digging to the body. But like I said, went up close. He seemed to be landing the harder shots on Vives. But then I thought Vives did a good job of the sixth to kind of, you know, even though he, he was on the ropes again, uh, Valenzuela, he wasn't landing enough clean shots. Very competitive round, but the left hooks to the head and then the body work from Vivas did it for me. Once again, though, Valenzuela, I gave him the seven. The combinations uh, to the body and the head uh, even landed a jab and a right hand. Like, to me, I thought he took that round. Now, Vivas, I did give the eighth. I thought he, the constant pressure, the better work. I gave him the fight 5-3 or 4-3-1. One of the judges did have it for uh, Valenzuela. Uh, or Valencia, um, 77-75, but the other had it 77-75 and 78-74. But these dudes, they went at it. It was a good fight. If you look at Vivas, uh, landed 277 out of 777 punches thrown for 36%. And uh, Valenzuela, um, he was 255 for 740, 34%. It's funny, too, because Vivas, uh, Jose... Out of his 277 lands, 260 were were non-jabs. And look at that body work from Vivas, too, 96 to 67, both active. But I thought he did enough to win the fight, and it was the most competitive fight um, on that card, I thought. But a good, very good card. You know, some other guys got decently tested, but we won't go in-depth on that, but yeah, well, kudos to the matchmaking. Of course, we know, especially when it comes to a prospect becoming a contender and a contender being a champion, we know top rank and the matchmaking has been there for so, so long. So kudos to them. But I thought they got it right on this one, like a deep into the card, like pretty much, like if you just go to ESPN Plus right now and just go to the undercard fights, it was pretty entertaining. And that's something that we can't always say. You know, we talk about how Showtime with the traditional, I guess you could say, triple header, right, where every fight's probably going to be 10 rounds and above. They do the best right now anyway, I'd say the last year and a half, right, because uh, they've had some down years too. 2019 wasn't a good for year for them. Uh, neither was uh, 2015, remember, when the, the PBC got their their uh, the time-by stuff and went to the networks and, uh, and all that, but... um. Kudos to top rank for this card, better than I expected. And some of these fights on the undercard, deep on the undercard, were, were really, really good. Um, let's see. That's about all I'll probably dig into on that card. Like I said, we have a lot of preview and prediction stuff. Usyk, AJ, the rematch, um, you know, <laughs> Like I said earlier, it does feel like the old saying, you know, you got to throw everything at him, but the kitchen sink. He AJ might have to throw the kitchen sink at him, too. I'm not trying to make Usyk this killer or something like that, but this at-range stuff is not going to work. Um, wonder if Usyk did all of a sudden move a lot more, not just that subtle – footwork movement that he did that was basically right in the pocket but if he moved even more 
um, it'd be kind of interesting to see because we know even Parker moved. There's some guys that have moved a little bit, but Parker's probably the fight where you look and go, when Anthony Joshua is not able to fight at range and not able to have his opponent in front of him long enough to set up and land his what is a very fluid combination, um, it, it does spell some trouble. So that's the thing. If, if, if I do think Anthony's going to have to hurt him in the first, like, opening rounds, three to five rounds. I, th- I think that's going to have to be because if he doesn't, he, like, it doesn't mean you go out there from the first bell and just go nuts. That's not him. But he does have to use his offensive arsenal that he has, and we've seen so many times. I'm not saying that he's a master at cutting the ring off. or not. He's not even, like, very good at cutting the ring off. But then again, it's not like he fought a bunch of guys that moved. Did Brazil move a little bit more? Sure. Um, you know, I just think Parker was the guy that moved the most. I guess you could say Pulev as well, now that I think about it. But Usyk moved – well, Usyk moved the best, but I'm not – he didn't move away the whole – encircle him the whole time or something like that. He was moving, but it was all – his defense and footwork and counters were on point. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. A lot of people kind of look at this Usyk-Joshua-like, well, the boxer beat the come-forward guy. Well, the come-forward guy didn't come forward. So we we got to remember that. But also – um, it wasn't a whitewash. Some people do say, oh, 11 to 1, 10 to 2. It wasn't that. Now, I don't think it was 7 to 5 per se, or 6 6 could have went either way. I do think there was probably an 8 4 in there. Um, 7 to 5 would be the, the minimum or the maximum I could go on that. Um, but it's interesting. Both of them were able to kind of stand each other up with shots where you're like, huh, is he hurt there? Is he buzzed there? So it'll be interesting to see, you know, one camp with a new trainer, is that enough? We know that his mentality on camera, <laughs> um, while even while he was choosing uh, going from camp to camp, whether it's Ronnie Shields or whatever, um, while he was talking about what he needed to do, uh, you know, in this rematch, he must have been working on some of this stuff anyway. We did see him throwing certain combinations with Ronnie Shields to, you know, to to mention that. But AJ will really have to, like I said, I'm not saying he's got to knock him out, but he's got to hurt him and probably drop him. If he can do that, that'll probably change how Usyk fights. And, uh, but yeah, he can't go in there wild. A lot of people just think he's going to go in there, you know, he's got to go Tasmanian devil. It's like, first of all, it doesn't really fit AJ, but he sure can't fight at, range. And what I do know is I haven't liked what he said about his corner as far as the whole game plan, meaning not what he said, but what he said about kind of putting the shifting the blame pretty much all on them from his comments. Um, but he has a point just like everybody else is like, when you hear the corner, it wasn't the advice he needed. He wasn't up in the fight keep jabbing. No, no, he didn't need that advice. And one thing I do know, no matter if this camp works out really good and they can translate what they've been doing at camp, him and Robert Garcia, into the ring, one thing I do know is if it's the eighth or ninth round and he's only won one or two rounds, Garcia's going to let him know about it. He's going to let him know about it. 
he's going to tell him you need to, you know, you, you need to pull your head out of your ass or whatever. You know what I mean? So let's go ahead and bring in John, though. And like I said, we're going to break down a variety of those undercard fights. As we, I talked about Adrian Broner is off the card. Um, but to be honest with you, Lipinets at 140 or whatever this fight's going to be at. And Omar Figueroa, I mean, this is kind of a crossroads fight in a sense. They both need, you know, they both need to, they both need a win here. You know, now he hasn't been, let's say, as, uh, it hasn't been an embarrassment as far as because, you know, Sergey Lipinets boots Ennis. So it's not like, whereas if you look at Figueroa, his last performance, I'm not saying, uh, it was against a garbage fighter or nothing like that, but he got, you know, he looked really weird. He looked bad. Let's just put it that way. Um, <coughs> so, you know, where him and Broner both looked bad in their last fight, so they needed, it was kind of like, hey, who's going to train hard for this fight? That's probably who's going to win. You know what I mean? Let's, let's hope we can get some two-way action and it's a good crossroads fight. But honestly, the Lipinets, I think the key thing is Lipinets being on the card already does, you know, sway me to go, well, hold on now. He was already on the card, so that's a positive. You know what I mean? That That is a positive. So we'll see, uh, you know, how it plays out in the ring. Obviously, you know, we got to see it in the ring. And so I'm thinking it's going to be 140 because I do remember um, him saying that he wants to go back you know, he wants to go back to 140. So, and I'm talking about, um, well, let's just tell us, uh, Sergey Lipinets at that point. But I wouldn't doubt if it's like 141 or 140. I don't know. Anyway, we got some fights to talk about. I'll shut up for a little bit. Let's bring in John to the fold. What's going on, John? How you doing? Hey, Chris. How's it going? Uh, enjoyed listening to you break down stuff from last week and getting into this weekend and uh yeah tonight there's uh definitely a lot definitely a lot to talk about yeah no doubt about it and uh we'll get into the the busy busy weekend a triple header on saturday uh as far as events but let's start in the ring teofima lopez um you know returned how'd you think he looked and then where do you go from here because it just seems like it's going to be Barboza, you know, to me. Especially if he – it's nice that he fought in August, and now they're saying he's going to probably be on that December date that we know oh so well after the Heisman, uh, you know, ceremony. What did you think of Teofimo Lopez? And then what would you think of a, a Barboza fight potentially? Teofimo, a, a passing grade on this weekend. You know, and why I just say passing is I thought – before the knockout, he looked okay, but he was obviously winning every every round. Um, he was being a slightly defensive, I think, considering who his opposition was. But he, he understood the need, and he turned it up and got him out of there. And that's what I'm looking for in that type of fight. And I like Teofimo's Lopez's power a lot. He's shown it in the past. I think people were getting a little too down on him after one fight. And anybody that listens to the show knows – uh, my philosophy on the too many weight classes, I think, you know, the biggest overrated issue is, you know, because because he's going up five pounds to 140 pounds is meaningless. 
So that wasn't a suspense as a lot of people who to me should know better were saying, well, let's see how he, he looks at 140 pounds where he's fighting this campus guy at 140 pounds. And he's recently beaten Lomachenko and, uh, that's supposed to matter. You know, that, that doesn't matter. And of course it didn't matter. It never does. So, uh, you know, it's only when you jump up one of the traditional weight classes that you start seeing those differences and, and really should be asking those questions. So this didn't matter to me. Uh, and I thought Lopez looked pretty good. He got the stoppage. I, I just, I mean, just being picky, I thought the stoppage could have come a couple rounds earlier. In other words, you know, sometimes I'll evaluate it where I think, you know, sometimes you really got to wear a, da- a guy down, figure him out, things like that. But in, in other cases, it's just a, a little maybe overcaution, things like that, or maybe you're not fighting quite like you're capable of. I was just looking at the, that. This is one of those type situations like, you know, he could have gotten him out of there a few rounds earlier. Great on that. Got the knockout in that type of situation. That's really what I'm going to look for. You know, is he going to play around and then, be so passive to let this guy go the distance who shouldn't and he didn't do that he got him out of there so passing grade for Lopez on Barbosa I'm I'm with what seems to be the majority on this I mean they're both with top rank you know Tio's back signed up with with top rank um the fight can easily be made Barbosa's undefeated uh, it's a competitive matchup I don't really need to get into it too much but one thing of course, you and I agree on, on most stuff. I, I didn't like this, top, but I think it's worth what we're talking about. It ties to me and with the Barbosa. I wasn't that crazy about this top-ranked card this past weekend from top to bottom. Too many non-competitive matchups going in. Not a real lot of excitement in the fights. Uh, you know, we had a within a couple of weeks that, that one weekend where we talked about the quantity, not quality, with, you know, the zone and, and, and more ESPN stuff that wasn't that good. Uh, and, and, you know, I've been praising top rank lately overall. I think they've been doing lately maybe the better job when I agree with you that, you know, Showtime's had bigger, more competitive fights maybe overall, but that's premium cable. And then with these being on ESPN, I think top rank's been probably lately doing a, the best job by a slight margin. Uh, I didn't feel like this was that kind of stuff. I mean, Tiafimo Lopez, a relatively big name, talented, you know, American fighter. You got to get him the exposure. I'm all in with that. He's coming back. But tie this in with Barbosa is we, we can't have another one of these types fights or to me, one of these cards top to bottom, uh, even if it is on regular ESPN and ESPN plus, you know, you, you got to give the fans some competitive action. And uh, Barbosa to me, will be competitive action. I would definitely pick Tiafimo Lopez. I think he'll be a solid favorite. But Barbosa brings a lot to the table except for power. I mean, he, he, to me, he's a fighter that brings a lot of good elements to the table. He comes to fight. He's aggressive, but he, he's underpowered. So Tiafimo Lopez does not have that problem. He's not going to have it at 140. Like you said, it's not, not going to make enough of a difference. So that would be the intrigue to me of that fight is, you know, both guys got some skill. Tiafimo Lopez is basically a low output guy, even he, even though he's very skilled and powerful and, you know, he gets by on, on landing the big shots at the right time. Uh, that could be interesting against a guy like Barbosa because Barbosa throws a lot. Now Barbosa is not going to hurt him. And, you know, does Tiafimo fire back with enough big shots to really, with that kind of a style match, we might have to get him out of there or drop him a couple of times. So I find it interesting, yeah, if they're talking about the, the Heisman lead-in, regular ESPN, 
I like it. But what I'm saying, and I've seen, I've saw saw some others saying it on Twitter as well, and, and other outlets. We need we need the competitive fight. You know, yeah, it's regular ESPN, but okay, enough of the showcase stuff. So, I consider Barbosa, even though Lopez be a solid favorite. That's a competitive fight. They're both legit top 10, 140-pound guys now that they're both fighting at that weight. Uh, so I like it. I'm good with it. Uh, I would like to see that uh, fight can be made. They're both top ranked. Yes, I'm on board with that. Let's go with that. At least I can have some intrigue with that fight, even though I would definitely pick Lopez. So I'm good with that. Um, Zayas, like you, I, I thought he looked real good. Uh, some people were saying they didn't like his defense. Um, like you said, sometimes you get hit. I mean, I, I didn't see that. I thought actually his head movement was uh, improved. The guy was the guy he was fighting, you know, was, was throwing a lot, but I didn't see him landing anything. I mean, right from first bell to, to Zayas finished it. I, I just wasn't really, for the most part, landing anything. And, you know, Zayas, those Gio shots Fimo probably got him. hit more yeah, with better yeah, shots. And, and those shots when – and he wasn't getting too much either. But, I mean, Zayas, you know, when Zayas landed, those shots looked real good when he dropped them too. Those were good power shots. You know, you, you looked at them live and in the replay. So, I'm with you all the way with him. I mean, very young guy. Impressive performance. Uh, but, again, another – now, he's very young. He is the prospect. But, you know, you're showing him on regular ESPN. But, to me, you know, that's another non-competitive matchup. But – He's the prospect, you know, Tiafimo Lopez has already been to the top of the mountain. He was, you know, lineal lightweight champion of the world, uh, you know, beating Lomachenko clearly. So, uh, you know, Zayas hasn't climbed that mountain yet. He's still on the way up. And I understand why they want him to get exposure. And, and, you know, I'm at a point where you know how the business works. I do like guys like Zayas getting exposure because, you know, they're for real as prospects. Um, So, I, I get that, you know, I, I get that, but you know, it's just for a few weeks, but we're, we're boxing hardcore commentators, followers, fans, you know, we are watching this stuff every week. So like you said, for us, when you get, when you get five, six hours cards of this stuff and, and it's, there's a lot of non-competitive action going in and in the ring, you know, no upset surprises, it, it gets a little wearing. So uh, I, I'm, I'm ready for, you know, and, and this weekend, you know, we kind of can seg into it, really. I, I just, I guess we maybe before we move on, I'll just throw my two cents in on, you know, I had liked what I saw Isley so far. I didn't think he looked that good, but I had liked him up to that point. I'm not going to worry that much about one fight uh, on the way up. You know, you're, you're not going to look perfect and knock everybody out every time. But Ragan, I haven't liked from the beginning, even before he went to the Olympics. He's too underpowered against that level of opposition, uh, because he, he'd done that before this week, you know, he, he, even though this guy was giving him more resistance. He, he's done that against the overmatched opposition. He he just is too underpowered. Uh, he can't turn it up. He can't even turn it up against a low-level opposition. I don't think it's going to change. So uh, I, I don't think – look, hey, it's a tough sport and everything, and, you know, he had a, he, he had an Olympian, you know, top-level amateur career. That's why he signed by top rank, and, you know, they – immediately gave him ESPN plus exposure even before the Olympics. But I, I do think his lack of power is so glaring uh, considering the level of opposition. I, I don't think the future is bright for him. So, you know, I think when they're making the cards too, they got to consider these things. Like a lot of people got mad, you know, look, these boxers are human beings and everything. And, you know, look, there's head trauma 
and you've got to live the rest of your life. Understandable concerns, but we're also on the other side of the coin in the entertainment business. What I'm just thinking of is, you know, Albert Bell went undefeated with top rank, and they kept showing him. And, you know, let's face it, the fights were dreadful, and a lot of people got mad when he got released. Um, and, you know, on one hand, you kind of feel for the guy he's undefeated, but the fights were dreadful. I mean, I'm just saying, like, the fights were dreadful. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of – it is the entertainment business, too. And uh, that, that I can tie that back into Teofimo Lopez. Um, and, you know, we've, we've – it, it, it seems that there are some – there are other guys that kind of get that. I mean, look, Boots Ennis gets rid of these guys. I mean, you know, it, it's – it's a combination, you know, it's skill. You don't want to take the headshots. You don't want to take the trauma. You want to be able to live the rest of your life. Obviously that's critical um, fighting and, and you ha- the fans got to want to see you. There's got to be something where they want to see you. If they really just don't want to see you after a while, you know, it, it's going to run out. And that's, that's where I think Ragan's on that track. So um, like you were saying, you know, could he develop, get off it or something, or even if he realized it, it, usually you don't see that. I think it's going to be tough for him. But but I've seen Isley have some entertaining moments already. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not going I'm not going to count him out. And uh, you know, they they they've, they've got other guys. They're, they've signed a lot of people recently. So uh, you know, there's going to be competition in some of those slots. But going into this weekend, what I'm hoping is, as you started to talk about Usyk Joshua, and to me, there's a ton to talk about. With that fight, it's a you know it's a top level matchup with a lot of intrigue just with the the strategies and what's going to happen. That is a fight that has both significance and intrigue to me and potential entertainment. But I mean, the first fight was entertaining, uh, you know, with the suspense and everything, and and you know entertainment value that's good. Um, we just got the announcement, of course, within the last couple of days that it's going to be on regular zone in the U.S. Nobody can convince me that that doesn't matter, that that's good, that that wasn't officially announced in the U.S. till now. They haven't even marketed it. Now, as a U.S. fan, and, and I'm sure you feel the same, Chris, I mean, I'm happy that I'm getting it. I really am semi-ecstatic that I'm getting it on my regular zone now. At least I feel like I'm getting something out of it. I don't have to do a pay-per-view. And it's a fight, of course, I, like everybody else that follows the sport, a lot cares about. But in terms of being good for the sport, you know, in the U.S., uh, no marketing of it whatsoever, no attempt to get it outside of the hardcore boxing box. And you and I have talked about this a lot lately. It's another one of those chips, at least in the U.S., where I feel like we're slipping to this pre-2015 mode in boxing with some things that weren't working that, sport got away from and the promoters in the u.s and now they're slipping back to like you know it reminds you of those days where like klitschko was on epics and things <laughs> and things like that you know like vladimir klitschko and the fights were getting boring you know even though he, obviously he finished his career as an all-time great a lot of those fights weren't that exciting and they were mismatches Usyk joshua was not that but that's what makes it worse i mean it's like you and i talked last week when when the sport was seemed to be to me, kind of going on an upswing on what they were doing to me, which got in the U.S. got kind of sparked by PBC and Al Heyman, what they were doing, making that move. You had Showtime showing Joshua and Klitschko and, you know, HBO on the same, in, in their last days on the same day. And now we've got an announcement barely before fight time of Usyk Joshua on the zone with no marketing. 
So I guess that leads yeah, to... Yeah, no, you're right. Fun. It is a little... <laughs> that is funky. I mean, the week of, we just found out. And, yeah, I mean, I don't even know... I mean, would there even be a commercial ran for it beyond just super late on a Thursday, Friday, right. Saturday? You know? Exactly. I mean, and that's I, what I'm I, talking I, about. You know, yeah, I mean... I doubt it. I doubt that they do that. Right. You know? No. Because they didn't even all... know they 100% had it. So you're right. able to get... The ads, you can't just call them up. That hey, you got some ad space this week? We got to pop in there real quick. You know, you, that's just not how it works. Unless you're gonna like maybe overpay, with, but these are all contractual stuff that, that's right. all lined up, so it doesn't even you know add up to anything. So yeah, especially I mean, this is a big fight. You know, I mean, right. obviously now it's for the lineal now because Tyson Fury supposedly you know uh, retired or whatever. So it's like. I don't know. And maybe some people yeah. will and, call and, and that is the, just because the, the ring or whatever. But, yeah, you're well, right. That no, is, you, it is funky. But you're right, Chris. That's a big issue to me because I care about it, and, and I think anybody who cares about the historical perspective of the sport does. And a lot of other people do, too. Some people say they don't care, but I, I think people do care. Uh, some like to pretend they don't. but uh, and, and there's a few that really don't, but I, I think people care. And, yeah, that, that, to me, that's a big historical debate. This really matters because – and I do want to break that down a little bit because I think it does matter. And let's face it, it's one of the reasons why the, the fight would be very important anyway. One of the reasons, you know, there's even possibly more focus or more debate about it, you know, which we've seen in recent days. Yeah. So the ring, I kind of want to give uh, – I do follow this stuff closely. kind of want to give a little breakdown on that because it's a good for the preview of the fight too as to what's going on here in the sport. So – Ring all of a sudden has come out, and uh, because really, and this is what I don't like, because lineal should have nothing. The ring and lineal, and you know, transnational should have nothing to do with what the alphabets do. I think some people confuse that, especially some of the younger people involved. Like that's the concept is that the alphabets got nothing to do with it. I mean, that's that's why these, you know, the these concepts of these titles going back historically, you know, to John L. Sullivan and whatever, that's why they're out there, millennial. So the ring, to me, initially a mistake. Now, we know how Fury's Fury. You know, he's got to re- he's ta- he was just talking about fighting Chisora and changing out Sugar Hill for Isaac Lowe as his trainer, literally within just a day or two before that. And then Mauricio Suleiman, you know, is all the when when Fury talks about retirement, he he, as you saw, puts a video up on social media and says the the WBC is you know congratulating Tyson Fury on his retirement. So the ring supposedly jumps on that because the WBC's got a video up there and they're talking about that, which they shouldn't even be paying attention to what the WBC does. You know the WBC is not credible, and they suppose supposedly. You know, call, let, let's just assume they did uh, call up Tyson Fury personally, and he says he's, you know, vacating the ring belt. Which really, you're right; it always went with Lineal, and then in recent years, it, it, you got a little clouding, which isn't good. Where it, it wasn't always matching Lineal with some of their titles, so you know, I kind of don't like that too. Like, you know, call, I mean, we're not an alphabet belt, and they're calling up Fury. Are you vacating? And and here's here's one thing that troubles me that I'm arguing right off. Now, first of all, I understand how how a boxing fan, historian, follower might say, well, well, Fury said he retired. You know, 
what, what else are we supposed to go on? He, he said he retired. Well, you know, Fury's always been saying he's retiring. Remember he was saying that around the time of, you know, when there was supposed to be a Klitschko rematch. And, and, and you know, how many times have we yeah. said that in the last month and then talked about fighting Chisora? And, and here's really the problem with that to me. And I've tweeted this already, and some people got it. And then the people who were on the, the push to all of a sudden you're going to shift your the lineal title supposedly in the ring – Transnational is even debating it, which, you know, I, I'm against it even though I'm on the board. I mean, it hasn't been decided yet, but, but I can tell you it's out there. Um, you know, that all of a sudden we're supposed to recognize, you know, Fury, uh, uh, Joshua and Usyk fighting for it when, when Fury's the guy that, that won it in the ring, recognized by everybody that, that recognizes a lineal champ, the ring and transnational. And he's fought, here, here's my point, he's fought not once but twice since the last time Joshua Usyk fought. He fought Wilder in fight of the year, and then he knocked out Dillian White on April 24th. So he's fought not once, but twice since the last time they fought. And because Fury is just going off on, you know, one of his tangents for whatever reason, Eddie Hearn himself is saying the guy always tries to take away attention from Joshua fights. That's Eddie Hearn talking, not John Einreinhofer. You know, that's Eddie Hearn saying that. So even Eddie Hearn, who's promoting, you know, the fight Saturday, and it's a big fight, he's even saying it. So, you know, how are we supposed to take that seriously? Because Fury then, what what do we do if Fury says next week, which he may very well do, the WBC even tweeted out nonsense today that we're going to look at this on August 26th. So you can see what kind of craziness is coming. So why, why play into it? In other words, you're going to just really just dirty or whatever you want to call it, the lineal title, the concept by making it the winner or claiming it's the winner of Usyk Joshua. And then next week, Fury, the guy that's the the champ who won it in the ring is going to say, I'm fighting. I'm fighting again. I mean, Joe Parker literally tweeted out a picture this morning of Fury running with him. And you can say, well, Fury just wants to run, of course, but you know, Fury is and Parker and him are good friends, so we know that. We've seen him in Vegas together, partying post fight. I mean, it's not it's not something they're just putting out there now. They're buddies. I mean, yeah, they they're training. Yeah, they're training yeah, together. They, they train together. So you know, you know, Parker is he, he tagged Tyson Fury in it. So you know, they know what they're doing, and you know, it, it just I, I mean, this is, to me is just a fiasco that you you can't. I think this would be – so what should the rule be, I think, in modern times to, with this Fury-type situation? To me, this is the logical rule that I would use if, if, if you don't want this stuff to drag out forever. If Fury says he's retiring or anybody like that, but especially at heavyweight, there's no division to move up to. You know what I mean? Like It's not like he can say, I'm retired, and then, no, I'm coming back at super, super heavyweight 315. You know, there is no weight division. Heavyweight's the highest weight division. So, you know, if he's fighting, he's going to be fighting again at heavyweight. So I think the rule you want to do for that type of thing, especially at heavyweight, is have if, if the guy says he's retired who is the champ, which Fury is the champ, then, then at least wait for it to take effect, even if he says he's retired, until – like if, if your standard for the ratings is when a fighter is inactive for a year, they lose the rating, you know, right, 15 yeah. months. It's got to be that long. So like Just another wait word, what until, I would, yeah. yeah. Let what a year elapse. Yes, that's what I would submit because the lineal stuff historically is too important. So 
I sure. think even yeah, because if it's real quick, John, just to add to your point, that means whoever wins on Saturday hasn't faced Tyson Fury or Wilder. So, exactly. I mean, it's just silly, you know? Right. It's absolutely silly. And, there's, and this is a debate that's a close one even to me. But, you know, and I can't – I'm not like the sole arbiter of it. You know, like, I mean, it, I'm not on the ring, but I'm on transnational. But, like, you know, I don't – you know, just like if, even if you're on the ring, you don't get to make that decision alone. So, like, I would have had Wilder yeah. stay at two. I would have had Usyk go up to one. But while they're coming off fight, uh, fight of the year with the champ Fury, a fight which he dropped him twice. And he's got to draw with right. the guy. Whether you like, got to draw with the guy. I would have had him in the two spot and Joshua three. So now I can't like retroact. I mean, like I said, I don't do the ratings alone. Um, but of there course. are some other ratings that, that have it that way. But I don't do it alone. But, you know, with Fury as the champ, for me, it would have been then Usyk moved up to one, Wilder two. Joshua three. So, so what I'm just saying here is I can see the argument for Joshua two, but I, I think to sure. me Wilder wins that argument based on what I said. And, you know, Joshua's lost two out of four. So you can say, well, Wilder got stopped twice. Right. And back to back, yeah, against, right. against the, against the, against champ, the lineal, right. Against the lineal champ, not an alphabet champ against, you know, he which put him down four lineal. times. In three right, fights. And he put him down four times. Exactly. That's what I'm looking at. So that, to me, trumped Joshua. So, but the consensus but was... But it's an Joshua argument goes, that's to be had. That's fine. There's it's no it's an argument, that. right. There's, there's an argument for Joshua, too. So, you know, the majority yeah, sure. believe that Joshua's two. So even one-two. Now, I agree, one-two matchups don't come that often in every division nowadays, the way things sure. are with yep. promotional stuff and everything. But I, I just think with lineal heavyweight, the most historic division. You can't jump the gun, and you know there's there's you know you got to try to control this stuff. You get you know people who even subconscious fanboys of certain fighters, and you know there, there's kind of these to me these alphabetty kind of fans that just kind of could never accept really that like Joshua never won it in the ring, you know lineal. And then, thus, then as a result, Usyk has not either, and they just want to they just want to jump all that. You know what I mean? Now I agree. Well, and some of Yuri's these guys the that... kept him at the lineal too when he was retired before, or suspended right. or whatever. You know, whatever. Well, that, they that did that. Time they did, off. They, they, right. They did it last. I mean, time. they cut and him. They, but I'm saying when I'm saying no, you're right as far as the actual, you know, those two ratings we're talking about that was gone. But I think the what I'm talking about is some of the people. That yeah. either voted or just who we see on boxing Twitter all the time, whether it's media, part-time media, hardcore fans that really are knowledgeable. Some of these yep. people kept him as the lineal, and when he returned, he said, "No, nah, he's the lineal." So it, yes. it, that's that's what makes it silly, you know. And, and I'm doing it all right, and I'm and 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 we look at that in law. This is where you know this is not law. This is sport. But even when you're making legal arguments, I mean, like. <laughs> Case law, you know, it's like they want to well. crown Usyk, you know. Right, like these like. arguments matter that you said. Like when you're arguing a motion in the law, Chris, you make the exact arguments you made. Like in other words, when somebody's inconsistent, you know, you point that out that that then it's not credible. And you're right, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I I do follow this stuff a lot, and I, and I do I, I'll admit I care about it because um, the ring goes back to you know 1922. Um, 
I believe the ring kept Tyson Fury as the champ for 15 months when he was inactive. And, you know, we say that was that same stuff when he was saying, I'm retired. I'm not, you know, or or he's retired. He's not retired. I think they kept him for 15 months. So he just knocked out Dillian White on April 24th. And and I'm thinking what you are too, frankly, you know, seems to me to be driven by some of these guys that, that, that they, they think in their mind, and he's the favorite, you know, they, they think Usyk's yeah. going to win and, and they, they just, you know, Oh yeah. I, I want Usyk to be the heavy, you know, I want him to be the heavyweight champion. You know, he's the favorite and, and we're, you know, it's just, it's just, I know Fury said it. N- nobody's making him say it. I though when they make right. that argument, I agree with that part of their argument. But you're right. But like you said, two days before, he was trying to fight Sura. So, I mean, you know, so do it. So we just just discount that then? And today, and he's tweeting out. And look what the two tweets we got today. We got a tweet this morning from Joseph Parker tagging Tyson Fury of Tyson Fury running with him. And we got a tweet, even though they're not credible, but still something's up. We got a tweet from the WBC saying, we're waiting now to April 26th. So the same guys who jumped the gun when they shouldn't have because it's the ring and not an alphabet thing and said, oh, Mauricio Suleiman is, is saying that he's retired. So he's got the WBC belt. So that's it. It's Yusuf Joshua on Saturday. Well, guys, now your buddy Mauricio Suleiman is saying, no, right. it's August 26th, a week after, <laughs> six days after Joshua and Usyk. So, why was there not any about face today? You know, because if you're listening to what Mauricio Suleiman says, so, which you shouldn't be in the first place, but that's the point, like you're saying, it's not consistent. I mean, you know, you're the ring. You, you don't look at stuff Mauricio Suleiman saying. That's why you have a ring title. I mean, that's the whole, that's what bugs me that these guys don't get it. They're supposed to be, you know, historians as well in those positions or have that appreciation for history and, your, your title exists because because the alphabets are corrupt. They don't, they're not consistent. They don't do what they should be doing. So you don't look to the alphabets for things. You know what I mean? Like it's just so. I, I just to me this is this is this is kind of a. I mean, boxing is one of the historical sports. Like I look at baseball, the history is really important. Even though football, American football, is the most popular sport in the United States. There's something about it where the history is not quite as important, but you get, and, and, you know, in, in the rest of the world, you know, the history of football, soccer is important. Like those are sports that the history is so much a part of it that to me, you, you yeah. have to be, you have to be careful with those kind of things because it does tarnish the sport. Like, you know, it, when you have debates in baseball about, you know, who, who's the real home run record holder and PEDs and things like that, it, it sure. hurts, you know, it, it hurts things. Like to me, that's like in boxing. Like you said, you know, to have confusion to, to kind of create this confusion about lineal when Fury's got two knockout wins since these two guys have last fall is just not. It's not good for the sport. I mean, it, it, it's just not good. And and you got to wonder about what some of the motivations are for it. So uh, I definitely, as a historian and hardcore follower, and somebody on transnationals ratings board. I, I'm I'm troubled by it, you know. For my two cents to transnational, it'll be no. Let's not take this route. But again, I can't control it myself. You know, yeah. you'll have people that agree with you, but it's it's kind of a 
more of a what the consensus is there. So I know yeah. they're making that call too, and I hope they I hope they decide to hold off on it. I think in the long run it'll be the right move. Um, yeah, and the rankings. You know, you know, there's times where you look at rankings, and we're not talking about, you know, the alphabetical stuff, but some people will be like, man, I, I can't believe they're ranked there and, and all that. Even like, uh, for instance, Callum Smith, that's super middleweight, right? I right. don't think he was, you know, the lineal guy or, or, or not lineal, but ranked that high. But he had beaten a guy who was ranked high, no matter what version of George Groves got in the, you know, in the ring with him that night, he was ranked high. So you beat them, you're going to get ranked high. So you, I mean, if you're going to do a – I think people do get it confused, though, and this is to credit both of these rating systems, is you do have to rank them. <laughs> you know, if you're going to rank them, you got to follow through with the rankings, and you got to adjust, you got to move. So I totally get sometimes – and even one against three, I get that argument from time to time. Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. But this does scream, let's just rush to it. And, it, and we've seen clear media bias. And so if we see that, why wouldn't we see that when it comes to people on Twitter who are well-informed and have crazy historical knowledge and care about the sport and all this great stuff about them. They're great at their job and all that, but they are biased. Some of them, it's been clear. Yep. Like we could have, we could have said that uh, 10 years ago. And they'd be like, well, Letterman only likes this type of fighter or, or Lampley only likes this. If you, if you box this way, Lampley's probably going to say something positive about you. Whereas, you know, uh, on the other side, you know, they can fight each other. Roy Jones and Foreman would say two different things, whatever. You know what I mean? It matters who was paired up. And you, you have biases when it comes to picking a style of fighter versus another style of fighter because right. it has – historical context so it's not the run of them i kind of miss just being biased who you think's gonna win the fight you know on twitter right. i kind of miss that part uh whereas it comes out of the ring now everybody's biases and that, that's a, a backwards uh way to do it but let's get in the ring okay that's enough out of the right. ring stuff let's get in You're the right. ring. We, got, we got enough of it in so we'll have to see how it yep. goes um and, but we do got to remember these panels, they do have to rate these guys. So you could say, I think he's overrated. Sure, but this prospect hasn't fought anybody yet, so that's why he's ninth. You know, ultimately he right. probably will be lineal, but you got to rank him, and it goes off resume, it goes off this, it goes off that. So uh, I right. did want to hit that home instead of, it's not like we're just blindly ripping these rating things. Like you said, you're part of one. So but you do have right. to rank them, and sometimes it does get a little funky. Uh, you know, Crolla being a lineal uh, in Linares, that didn't make sense, but Crolla was third, so they did it. You know, whatever. But, but you make a good is. point. I, I, we'll, we'll move on, but you make a good point because you brought up two of them, and you're absolutely right. The two instances you brought up, see, Transnational, and, and I'm with you. I was starting to a few years ago, even before I was on Transnational's board, before we move on, I was – starting to get the same like well maybe things are so slowed up in boxing maybe we have to take a look at the one versus three but i agree with the points you've been making those were two of the controversial one if you follow this stuff one versus three instances the ring did both of those and transnational did not because they elected to keep one versus two 
And now that I'm, I've been on transnational and the stuff that you talked about with the biases, Chris, you made an excellent point. That brought me back to the traditional where I did become convinced again that, no, it's got to be one versus two. One of the reasons is, like you said, just these biases and things, at least if it's one versus yeah. two and it stays with it, that's the way it's been throughout history. And then that way, at least we're consistent. So ring and transnational have Joshua Usyk one, two. It was close. There was people with me that thought Wilder should remain two, uh, but it wasn't the consensus. So I'm not I'm not debating it on that basis, but I just think we can't yeah. go on just Fury's word when he just fought on April 24th. Yeah. You got you got to you got to I you just got to wait. You got the pre the, the the preference has to be heavily for you win the title in the ring by beating the champ, and that's what these people are losing sight of. Yeah, and if they keep if they keep with what they consistently did with whatever a year, 15 months, whatever it was with Fury, because we, we heard about the Klitschko and all that. Well, we've heard about a Chisora then, too. And we know that there's a potential Fury <laughs> right. uh, versus, you know, Joshua or, or Usyk. So it's like, it's very similar then, because we he, the damn dude just called out Chisora for not signing right. a contract. Now, I don't know if that's real or not, but, you know, it, it smell it, 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 it just... It's Fury, dude. Who the hell knows what he's gonna do? Right. Um, and then Fury also he said he's and he said he's getting a new trader. And even Sugar Hill tweeted it. Right. Or even Sugar Hill responded, said something like it wasn't good, but like so it was real. Right. You good know? luck like, with that Fury, or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good luck yeah. with that or something. So okay. So now we got to go in the ring because I agree with you. This is there's a lot to talk about on this one. So in the ring. So uh, obviously Usyk uh, or uh, AJ uh, with the new trainer. What can he do in one camp? I do. I am of the belief, though, that he's had at least the mentality that he has to change the way he fights or get back to how he fought, however you want to put it. Because um, we did even see when, like I said earlier, with the Ronnie Shields, remember he was working on a combo to the to the stomach and then come back up, like follow up on punches and stuff like that. He's probably had this, like it's only one camp, could have had some mini camps in here to be working on some of this stuff. Um, do you think that one camp with Robert Garcia or just a change in mentality and getting back to being a more than just one punch out of the time type guy, um, not getting way out of your bounds of what you can do, um, but just unloading shots and seeing what happens. Otherwise you're probably going to lose if you, if you fight, you know, at range or try to outskill a guy that's more skilled than you. Uh, how do you see this one breaking down? And uh, some people are on the it's all but written because you know when a when a when a more skilled boxer who has more ways to win beats somebody fairly cleanly, whether it's eight four seven to five whatever, when they beat him cleanly, generally speaking, historically speaking, the rematch you're like okay. Now he's figured him out. It's going to be 10 to 2 or whatever, you know, where he's going to stop or whatever. Yeah. Whereas this yeah. is a little different because I don't think anybody thinks that, you know, at least in the, oh, the opening part of the fight, that AJ is going to fight the way he just did. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you, actually, Chris, you give me a good segue, though, for um, kind of introducing my thinking about this rematch. Uh, because when the. I thought that the first fight was much closer than a lot of people did. I did think Usyk won it. 
but I thought really Usa came in, came on around round eight. That when Joshua had a little bit with his eye and stuff, and it was probably stamina as well, because Usyk is a real good stamina guy. That Usyk turned it up, and then Usyk I thought had him about out in the twelfth. So when the fight ended, this was my thoughts. And when you and I, uh, you know, had the show right after that, my initial gut thoughts were just what you said, you know, and, and when you've watched a real lot of boxing and you, and you get older and, and with even things, other things in life, one thing you do get older with, one thing you do get better with as you get older, there's a lot of things you don't, but a lot of things you do. And the, the one, one of those is you start to see patterns. And I agree with you. Like when that first fight ended, I thought, well, I thought this was a lot closer. I thought Joshua was right on course to probably take this fight after eight, but he faded, and Usyk really gritted down and picked it up, and it looked like Joshua was was just broken down mentally and ready to go, and and physically and ready to go as the fight ended. So uh, it seems like Usyk would probably take this easier in the rematch. But uh, this is the part I'm wondering – Am I overthinking it or not? You know, I, I did not like McCracken's corner work at all with Joshua in that fight at that time. Didn't know he was going to switch, but I think I did tweet out pretty close after that. Like, like this is one situation. There's, there's got to be a switch. You know, this guy's got to do something different. If he doesn't do anything different, there's no hope in the rematch. And, and it took him to me longer than it should have, but he made the move to Robert Garcia. So that's the first, the first key factor for this rematch to me is since Joshua then did make that move is he's got Robert Garcia. So let's, let's break down that part of it. I mean, as you were alluding to, I, I agree. And, and as some of the more detractors have said, I agree with this part. There's not really enough time for Robert Garcia to have him doing different things. Technique wise. I'd prefer that he had that time, but he doesn't, but I still think he can matter and possibly make the difference in Joshua getting a win because Joshua needed a mentality switch and Robert Garcia can give him that. So the one of the first keys I'm going to be looking for in this rematch is we have Robert Garcia, but, but stuff I don't like that I'm hearing is like apparently McCracken's gone, but, but Joshua's kept the other guys around. So I, I like to throw this out in advance. I think this is going to be some of the stuff that's interesting to me about the strategies and things. One of the first things I'm going to be looking for and, of course, it, it will be key after the first round. So if something dramatic happens in the first round uh, on either side, it might not matter. But uh, presuming we get through round one, who's going to be talking in Joshua's corner? If I see guys overwrite, and, and it's not that Robert Garcia would have a mentality to allow this, but it's like if Joshua's doing it, you know, like if he's listening to somebody else. Like if there's a bunch of voices in there and, and it's just not Robert Garcia talking, I think Joshua's chances are going to drop dramatically because then Robert Garcia has not adding anything. He hasn't had the time to work with him to, to add technique. And then he's not even the, you know, the strategist in the corner. He's not the guy giving the advice. He's not the guy breaking down the fight, telling Joshua what to do. So to me, that's critical right off. So I'm going to assume at this point that Robert Garcia is the guy. Um, but if the fight happens, you know, if when the fight happens, he turns out not to be the guy. We can tell that by watching in between rounds. There's a bunch of voices in there. Joshua's looking to somebody else. Or Joshua's just simply not listening to him. That would be another factor. Then, obviously, Robert Garcia can't do much because there hasn't been time for technique. But assuming Robert Garcia is the guy and he's given the advice, 
and, and Robert Garcia is properly prepared, which I'm going to assume he is because he's one of the top trainers. He's going to know, and I'm looking at the Gassier fight, and I'm looking at the first Joshua fight for Usyk. I thought, you know, Usyk got away with BS, and he was getting hurt to the body. He kept looking to the ref with Gassiev, and Gassiev wasn't following. You know, the, the action was getting stopped, and we I saw that you saw the same type of things against Joshua. And Usyk, to his credit for honesty, you know, I've said this a few times, but I think it matters, and his fanboys never want to acknowledge it. Usyk himself said he was getting hurt to the body. You know, he, he said after the fight, I was getting hurt to the body. And you also saw Usyk playing with his nose when Joshua was landing the jab. I mean, that's actually pretty good for Joshua that in that first fight, he's fighting a very skilled southpaw. And at least for the first eight rounds, even though it wasn't overall the way he should have fought, he was getting that jab in. He was even doing some damage with it. Again, the Usyk fanboys are not going to acknowledge that stuff at all. But Usyk himself said it. You saw the pictures of Usyk after the fight. You saw he got busted up some. He clearly won the fight. But this, this idea that he took no damage, like you said, 11-1, 10-2 that, that kind of stuff's crazy. I mean, that, that's not – Joshua faded. You know, he, it was right there for him. He faded. But it wasn't – it wasn't a 12 round master class and all that stuff. I mean, so I think, you know, Robert Garcia, I'm assuming is going to pick up on that stuff. So I, I agree with you and what other people have said. And, you know, a lot of the Usyk fanboys, I got to just refer to them that you've seen it. Like I have, it's just too prevalent out there. Um, you know, they, they want to say, well, Joshua can't go reckless. That's crazy. He can't win. Right. Sure. I agree. He, he can't go reckless, but he can be more, he can be more aggressive. If, if he goes reckless, sure, he's going to get countered. And he was afraid of getting countered in the first fight. And that, that stuff concerns me because it takes away the aggression he needs. And, and that's because, you know, Usyk's a skilled guy. But, you know, Joshua can be more aggressive than he was. I mean, he can follow up when he lands to the, the, the body. You know, he can follow it up. And, and Robert Garcia is the guy you want for that because, you know, he emphasizes the body work, the left hook to the body. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy to get that in against Usyk. It's not going to be, and Usyk's going to be countering. You know, he's quick and he has skill. But Joshua can land that. And Usyk, look, the old thing, nobody likes it is true. But you, I have seen, as good as Usyk is, you, you look carefully at the Gassiev fight, look carefully at his first fight with Joshua, when this guy takes takes some good body stuff, he doesn't react all that great to me. So uh, that's what, he, he's got something there. He, he's got something with the jab, which you, in a way, even though he lost the first fight, fighting a southpaw, it was surprising he was able to get in the jabs he was. And you and I both talked about in the first fight, we both agreed, you know, Usyk's head movement was excellent in that fight. It was as good as I've ever seen it. And I'm expecting he's going to do that again. And that's key, which, you know, then he's flipping jabs and things like that. But, but Joshua was able to still get him in. Now, problems for Joshua with the style matchup. And I thought there were going into the first fight. I thought he'd, he'd win. I thought it was close. And I had to think about it, but, but I thought he'd win. He didn't. But is this. is To me, Joshua, for a big guy who has power and has a good jab, the guy just does not throw a good straight right hand like he should once in a while if he's got one of these overmatched guys hurting on the way out you'll see him land a good one but he's completely reliant on the right uppercut for the power shot it's just something he's been in the habit in you see it in all his big fights even when he was fighting a guy 
as tall as Vladimir Klitschko. You know, he, you see the highlight. Yeah, he hurt him with the uppercut. But but you fighting a guy that tall, he's he's throwing throwing uppercuts for the power. I'm, you know, of course he hurt him with it, but it's just a guy. You know, you think of, to me the classic guy like that, like a Lennox Lewis, who's you know throwing that jab and then coming over with those big overhand rights or or straight rights. Now, of course, Lewis could hurt you with an uppercut too, and and would do it when it was called for inside. But but you know he wasn't just always relying on a a right uppercut for the power punch. And why that bothers me with Joshua is because for Usyk, a skilled southpaw, he's not landing that power shot, okay? I mean, if he's got him in trouble already, you know, he might get it in. Or if he's able to maybe tire him out, bully him on the inside later. But he's not going to get – he's not going to initially hurt Usyk, I don't think, with a right uppercut. And that, that's a problem. That's a problem for him, uh, for me. And then the other keys we're going to look at, like, these are the weights, too. I mean, you know, there's talk already of Joshua being lighter, and you've got these videos circulating of Usyk. Well, at heavyweight, we're going to know on the scale, you know, what, what that is because you don't have to make weight. I don't, I don't know why Usyk would bulk up uh, unless something did bother him about the first fight, you know. But, but if he's just bulked up and I can't really figure a reason for it, I think that could work against him. But, you know, what could be strange in this fight is what if for some reason Joshua slims down like he did for Ruiz too, and, and Usyk bulks up. I mean, they, they could, they could come into the fight around the same weight. Now, how, how bizarre would that be with, with this matchup? Um, that, that's another thing I'm looking at. I mean, Usyk's a real good stamina guy, high volume. I, I'm with you, Chris. I think it, Joshua's got to, find some way to hurt him early, maybe drop him. Then you never even rule out a decision or something. But Usyk's been one of the best stamina guys in the sport, especially fighting at higher weights like cruiser and heavy. Throws a lot of punches. And I agree with what you said. People don't pick up on that. He's not a mover for a guy that's a boxer. He, he basically, you know, stays, you know, he has footwork, but he stays close to one spot. He, he's not a mover. I think the X factor that you and I have both kind of looked at that other people haven't is if Joshua can hurt him with something early and maybe get him moving when he's already a guy who's used to throwing a high volume of punches and he relies on that, maybe there's a chance he wouldn't have the same stamina late in the fight. Now, I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but I'm with you. I think that's another one of the intriguing X factors that if Joshua did ever hurt him early, and got him on a bike, which we've never seen him do, and he's not used to doing. That that could detract from his stamina game, where he he's not stationary, but he's relying on his footwork in a smaller area, and he's throwing a ton of punches. Uh, so, you know, those are those are some of the key things that that I'm thinking a lot going into this one. Yeah, no matter what, he needs to push him back. That's for sure, uh, in some form or not, because yeah. you can't just have him, you know footwork in the pocket, like you said, within punching range, but then out of punching range, but then right back in, counter-punching, using angles on the side and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting matchup, no doubt. Who, how, how do you ultimately think? I mean, obviously, we do have – I think you made a great point about um, waiting to the scale for the final prediction in a sense of, you know, if he is bulkier, which – you know, with the angles, sometimes we know how that goes, whether it's video or, or, or a, a 
image, sometimes it can just be misleading. Um, and you're just like, oh, that was the angle. He's not as bulky. But there has been some shots where you're like, wow, he looks way, you know, not way bigger, but he does look bulkier, like his neck, his shoulders. And if that's the case, then you're like, huh, are you going to be as fluid? Uh, you know, how much weight? He said he lost some weight when he was in the Ukraine, like 10 pounds. Now he feels much stronger. It is, it's kind of interesting when it comes to that. Yeah. And um, that, that could affect him greatly, for sure. I think it's a big factor, yeah. I, I don't really see, you know, the way the first fight went with him, I don't see why he would put on the weight. Now, one thing I'm going to say in Usyk's favor, you know, I've talked about some things I've seen bother him. I'm already assuming this going into this fight. I have become convinced as the time's gone on. I don't think Joshua takes that good of a shot. You know, I've always said, and I think over time this was kind of proved out, certainly in the first Ruiz fight, I never took it as a plus. As great of a fighter as Vladimir Klitschko was, at that age, coming off a terrible performance against Tyson Fury, uh, you know, having laid off for as long as he was when he had that fight, I, I never took that as a badge of honor or like, you know, a positive testing ground for Joshua that he got dropped in that fight after he had Klitschko in trouble. And, you know, it was a tight fight right up to the end. Uh, I, I didn't take that as a plus. You know, a lot of people said, oh, he showed hard. He got, yeah, he got up, but he was fighting a 41-year-old man who was at the end of the line. He'd laid off, you know, for well over a year and uh, was coming off a terrible performance. So, you know, then you're thinking, well, it was that one time, but then you saw what Ruiz did to him in the first fight. And I'm going to, even though I hated the corner work in the first Joshua Ustick fight by, by McCracken, I, I, I'm kind of going to follow up on your point, Chris. I mean, I was thinking this a little bit yesterday and today. I hadn't even really been thinking about it, but you know, I guess one thing you can say for McCracken is this. He, he knows his guy. I think you looked at the way he Coach Joshua in the corner in that fight, and even against a guy like Pullen, you know, who he should have gotten out of there well earlier. He, he's probably concluded Joshua doesn't take a good shot either. And he was probably thinking, even though Usyk and Andy Ruiz are different guys, they're both, they both got fast hands. Uh, and he was probably thinking, you know, Joshua is 6'6". Six, six. You know, I, I got him jabbed. And he did shut out Andy Ruiz in the rematch. You know, Andy Ruiz was totally unprepared, but he did shut him out. I, I think he was probably thinking, my guy doesn't take that good of a shot. We, we can keep Usyk out at the end of the jab and get a decision after 12 rounds. It wasn't the way to go, and I didn't think it during the fight or before the fight, but I think he probably thought that. You know, you, know, you listen to the advice, it was terrible, but – when you listen to the advice he was given late, I, I think that's probably what he thought. But like you were saying, you know, you're right. I mean, even, even if he thought that going in, when, when you saw with the way Joshua was starting to fade after the eighth round, you know, you had to tell the guy to pick it up to try to win the fight. And, and he, he wasn't telling him that. He was telling him to jab and box. And so he wasn't adjusting to what was going on. And, you know, you saw how bad Joshua was in the 12th round in that fight. So even that alone, that, that strategy wasn't good. And, uh, you know, if you were going to do that strategy, why didn't you have Joshua then weigh in real light again? Um, so it's kind of inconsistent, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, he True. wasn't weighing in what he, he – he didn't weigh in what he did for Ruiz too. So if that's the way you think he needs to fight now, which is the way he was coaching him in that fight, uh, well, why is he back to putting weight on? Uh, so – now it, it just it just it didn't work with McCracken anymore. 
uh, I got to see Robert Garcia be the guy, the one voice, giving the advice. I have confidence in Robert Garcia in that situation. He'll he'll tell him the right things to do. And and when he sees Usyk trying to BS Joshua, if Joshua's starting to hurt him, Robert Garcia is going to pick up on that. And then Joshua just got to listen. I I think that's really important for Joshua in this fight. But but I don't have a lot of faith in Joshua's chin. I'm going to say that too. I, I don't agree with these people saying, oh, Usyk stoppage maybe earlier. Yeah, Joshua could run out of gas. I don't like his chin, but I think Robert Garcia should have a, a better fight plan. And I'm with you, what you were kind of thinking. You know, if Joshua comes out with a better mentality in this fight with the power he does have uh, and he starts putting a little hurt on Usyk early, you know, we might see a different Usyk with a little more movement, him being maybe a little less active, and then maybe Joshua wearing him down a little bit, putting some hurt on and and Robert Garcia should help in that way. I'm thinking if Robert Garcia takes the lead, you know, I'm going to wait till I see what these guys weigh in, and I feel like I have to on this one. But I'm trying to give everything I'm thinking about and what I'm looking for. And you know, Usyk's 35 now too. Not enough people have talked about that. Yeah, maybe he's coming off a arguably career best performance, but everybody gets older, you know. And he's a he's a speed boxer, and he's fighting, you know, as, as a heavyweight now, and that can help him because he can still go with a similar style. But on the other hand, you know, he, he's a guy that's re- relying on his hand speed and stamina. And, and if maybe that slows up a little bit, you know, Joshua's the younger guy as well as the bigger guy. Uh, yeah, we got to look for that too. So uh, there's a lot of factors. I, I want to see Robert Garcia in control for Joshua and see the weights. I, like I said, it, what's going to be bizarre is if, if they weigh in close to the same weight, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if it does, if this Usyk bulked up things true, and, and if we've heard recently that Joshua is supposedly cutting weight for whatever the plan is, um, I, the, supposedly that was because they want him to have more stamina, um, which, you know, Usyk's a great stamina guy, and Joshua was fading bad at the end. So even if they're not looking for a decision, I could see that maybe a little bit that, you know, they're looking at it like, hey, we can't guarantee we're going to knock them out. We're going to try to. And if we don't, we don't want you fading like that again. Um, that could be a possibility. The Usyk bulk up, all I could think of there with him would be if, if he did say this after the fight. You know, if, if maybe even though it was a huge win for him and he won the fight, you know, he was in there with the guy. You know, and, and maybe he, if he's thinking, hey, you know, I, I was feeling these shots. This guy's real powerful. I just don't have enough confidence. You know, I can take these shots. You know, I can I can take these shots all the way if I'm not bulked up and and maybe punching harder myself and put more hurt on this guy. You know, that could that could be sure. a, a more dramatic, explosive early fight if that happens. And you never know in boxing uh, when when things like that happen. So so who knows? But we got to see that. And, and yeah, I mean, he put on a heavy. fair amount of weight, being that he weighed at 200 prior. You know, if you think about it, yeah. even even in this one. Or even in the fights before, he the ones that he didn't look as good, actually, uh, as a right. heavyweight. And then all of a sudden, boom, he looked great. And that was like, whoa, that's what that's kind of what caught me off guard. I didn't think he'd fight the same exact way as he fought against those guys. That, he just was a little bit more, well, he's a lot more craftier uh, in the pocket against Joshua. Um, yeah, he yeah, was. He, he really just showed, like, his hand speed and just everything. He really displayed a lot of what he could do at cruiserweight. Um, any other fights uh, from the weekend that stand out um, before we get uh, before we get going and get to some of the other callers? 
uh, yeah, we, we, we'll talk about it quick, just letting this one go. I think, again, trying to give as many barometers is what I'm thinking before the weigh-in without making a pick. So I guess I would say I think this is where I'm going. If, if Usyk weighs in over 230, I would tend to look at that as a possible negative for him. And, you know, for Joshua, you know, he's got to hunt down a quick guy. If, if he comes in too heavy, that's too heavy. That's going to be a negative for him. But, you know, if Joshua comes in like 240 and Usyk comes in over 230, I, I'm thinking advantage Joshua there, even though they're closer in weight and people might want to say, oh, well, there's not as big of a size difference now. But I just don't th- – I think with the styles that, you know, that, that might – that might work in Joshua's favor, but other fights, you know, it, it's going to be just, I don't know how it, it shouldn't last long at all, but I got to admit kind of a crazy matchup, but I, I like, I do for entertainment value. I like this Zhang Hergovic fight. Hergovic's career has stalled. He's got amateur pedigree. He was looking sharp early, but been fighting nobody. They make excuses for it. You know, he's supposedly waiting for, for alphabet mandatory things and stuff. And the, the career's just been sputtering, so he needs a revival. I think he's a little bit yeah. too mechanical from what I've seen of him. Really good right hand, but kind of kind of like a – kind of like a, a – fights a little bit like a Vlad Klitschko, but not as good, uh, not not with as much punch variety as, as even Vlad Klitschko. But his right hand's for real, and he, he really relies on it. So, you know, that's – and he's big. And then you got Zhang, who who doesn't really have anything much, except the dude has shown he's got some power. Like nothing else really looks too good, except he's big and he's got some power. Not not particularly skilled, not agile. Stamina's not there, but guy's big and he's got some power. I think he's he's power. He's got some power. So, I mean, Zhang's a huge underdog. You know, he's the older guy. Came off that bad finish against Forrest, which you know you would think took something out of him but he but he was hurting Forrest bad early in that fight uh the guy's got power i as long as it lasts i mean i'm i'm interested in the fight even though hergovic's a huge favorite zhang's got enough power and size for me and i'm not saying he might not get bombed out with the first big right hand he gets hit with but i'm gonna like i think i'm gonna like this one as long as it lasts so if the zone's going to give me that with the use of Joshua, it, it took them yeah, too long. But I, have interest I do in like it. it. I do like yeah. it. And then they got Alan Smith's on there. I mean, the more I looked at it, I said, you know, that, I, it's too bad it took them so long to announce it because I can see some, you know, you got the great headliner fight. There's no doubt about that. But then, you know, I, I'm interested in Zhang Hergovic and Callum Smith fighting another opponent who's okay. I mean, yeah, I, I, I can be entertained by that. Uh, so, that that stuff's looking better late than never. It just you know should have been adver- should have been marketed, should have been announced earlier. But at least we're getting it if you got a zone subscription, and that finds some entertainment value in on that card. Sure. And then um, you know even before the Lipinets replacement of Figueroa, I was really into when it was just a triple header with the two you know undercard fights. We now know it's turned into a quadruple header. I'm assuming they're going to probably have a Showtime. Well, I should, I don't know. They've been doing the Showtime YouTube stream because there is actually, so they have the Cuban heavyweight on there in an eight rounder. They have, they have both of the Cuban heavyweights uh, on the under, or no, they have a light heavyweight. That's right. But uh, the other heavyweight who is coming off that really fun fight early uh, January 1st or January 2nd, whatever that was. Um, 
that kind of stood out to me. Obviously, uh, the main event should be entertaining with Navarrete. Um, but yeah, any any items you want to discuss when it comes to those other uh, fights as well? Or cards, yeah, like I you say? said, like like you said with the Lipinets and you know uh, Figueroa, um, it, it is kind of like you know it, it's intriguing because both guys need need a win. Um, supposedly some alphabet 140 pound eliminator. Now I got to throw this out there because just all the recent fights, I can't see Omar Figueroa making 140 pounds. So I'm throwing that. I know, right. Or whatever eliminator thing out the window. I mean, to me, okay. Now Lipinets, I think, you know, he, he, he wanted to go back down and he can make that weight. Even though Lipinets can make it, I'm just going to take this one already in advance. Forget that alphabet 140 eliminator thing. It's going to be a welterweight fight before we get to Saturday night. Before we get to Saturday night at midnight, I think we're going to have a welterweight fight on our hands. I, I don't see Omar, Omar Figueroa making 140, and I didn't see Broner and Figueroa making 140. They talked about that being 140. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this like going into that fight, you've got to kind of assume Omar Figueroa already in his camp was thinking Broner's not going to make 140. I mean, come on, when's the last time Adrian Broner made 140? You know, so... Um, and, and Figueroa hasn't for a while either. Yeah, both like, of them, like you said, both of yeah, them both are. Of them. Both of them have similar <laughs> issues as far as not right. making the weight and not being ready to go for every fight with a full camp. Um, but Lipinets was scheduled for a for a, a junior welterweight fight. Now, whether that's 141, right. you know how you can get away with that part if it's not for a sanction right. or whatever. Um, but he he so he is. He was planning not just only to fight on this card, but it was, you know, he did say how he wanted to go back to 140, a more fitting weight for him. So, yeah, I wouldn't doubt if we hear of, uh, they agreed at 143 or whatever the hell. Um, stylistically, I'm though, it's, it's, it's still a crossroads fight. You know, they both need to, to show up. Right. I think, right, the, the, the styles mesh well for entertainment, and they yeah. both need it. So, you know, Premium cable. It, it, I mean, I don't. I don't want to you know, like ruin in terms of like should it be a Showtime main event? I mean, even with Broner, it was that's because Broner gets ratings. You know what I mean? Like it's in terms of a fight. Eh, I don't know, but I, I think it's going to be an entertaining fight. They both need it. So I mean, I, I do like the way Showtime had Lipinets ready and they've got him in there. Credit to Figueroa for taking it. Now I was a believer in the talent of Omar Figueroa for a long time, but. You know, he he had nothing against Abel Ramos, as you were talking earlier. And, and he, he really just got beat to hell in that fight and was trying these bizarre defensive techniques yeah. that weren't working and wasn't throwing anything. It, it was just – it was awful. I, I don't think he bounces back. And not only was the performance bad, he took a beating. He took a beating. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got to think Lipinets has more left at this point, and, and he'll beat Figueroa. I will say that because of that. And I was – always for a long time a believer in the Figueroa talent you know we know there was other issues there um but I just think it's I just think it's too late I, I just think uh Abel Ramos was the last hurrah and he he had nothing left and he, and he got beat up he got beat up bad in the fight and, and Ramos was a good puncher so I just I can't you know now Lipinets got took, took shots got knocked out by drawn and it's no shame in that that's the thing but still he, he you know he took some shots it still yeah. puts some wear and tear on you, but 
it's the old who's going to have more left in this one. I got to think Lipinets is going to have more left, but I do think it's a good style mesh and should have some entertainment value as long as it lasts. So uh, that's kind of what I point. think of the card: yeah. entertainment value. There's entertainment value too. up and down the card. It's not like one fight. Just I mean, we do have you know top five, top seven ish. Uh, matters what ranking you're looking at at Gutierrez and Garcia. You know, that's a quality fight at the weight class. Um, but, yeah, I just think entertaining, you know, entertainment in general, it, it kind of has a throwback before the pandemic, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve fights on the card. I mean, as far as if you're going to go there and watch it live, because uh, that's right in that, like, ten to 14 range is where we were uh, before the pandemic hit. So um, you could tell that, uh, you know, some fighters have to get some fights too. If you're going to go there live, there is actually a lot of talent on the card and it might have, you know, feature some competitive, you know, competitive fights or just entertainment and whatnot. But uh, I appreciate you taking time out on a Monday night and we'll definitely uh, talk soon, John. All right, Chris, thanks for having me. As always, we got a lot to watch this weekend, so enjoy the fights, and I look forward to talking with you about them next week. There we have it. Thanks a lot. As always, Carcino's up next, and just kind of going over uh, some of that. They kind of broke, you know, he, he. I think he did a good job as far as the, uh, the, the undercard for, not much in the undercard for that Joshua, you know, Usyk fight, but then again, you know, there's a ton of money tied up in the, you know, in the top of it. Crossroads fights Lipovets Figueroa. I think that should be a good fight. I do want to, you know, say that's a good opponent for a replacement, and that's something that since the pandemic we see more of that. I think Showtime's probably been the best at that if you look at it, um, just because he's already scheduled on the card. Um, what was that? Was that that was actually. Was it Fox for Pacquiao? And I can't remember. I suppose that's the best replacement, Ugas, because he ended up winning, and he was scheduled that, that night. But uh, Puelu in Akhmadev, it's not – whoever wins this fight, yeah, take away the, you know, the, the WBA thing, because um, this is one of the fights that got made from uh, Josh Taylor dropping the bell. It is a vacant super whatever, right? But the matchup. I think it's going to be good. Whoever wins this fight will definitely be ranked in the top 10 after it. Uh, maybe, I think, I think someone had, I think the ring has Akhmadev like ninth or something like that. But it's stylistically, like I said, competitiveness, stylistically, I think that that, that actually might be um, one of the better fights as far as just competitiveness. Um, I think it's, I mean, Puelu is a very minor as far as boxing goes, um, underdog, a plus 175 or something like that was the highest I saw. So, I mean, it's close to a pick type fight, like I said, as far as boxing goes. Uh, we don't always get those 50-50s on the betting odds because it's tough to get. But Gutierrez, uh, you know, I think he's ranked anywhere from three to five, somewhere in there. And Hector Garcia, obviously, Chris Colbert did get beat. Um by Hector, and so he got himself into this, uh, the WBA trying to put titles together because they had so many of them. So I think that's a really good match. I mean, that's 
that's right there. Gutierrez is like, I think, a plus 175, plus 225, somewhere in there. i got to check again. But that's like top five, top seven guys going at it. Um, so I think, that's, I think that's interesting. And they did add uh, – what's this toast, too? I said that earlier. Brandon Lee's on the card. The card's pretty interesting as far as just entertainment. But clearly the standout is uh, DAZN here. Um, with the with the rematch and, and I also think that the ESPN, you know, they do have what could be some interesting undercards. We talked about those eight rounders, the Delgado Aguilera. I think that's probably the closest matched fight. The Lopez Vargas that could be a fun fight. David Martinez, Alejandro Guerrero, that might be an interesting fight. Um, I think Contreras and Ruiz, yeah, a bunch of eight-rounders on that card, but uh, Emmanuel Navarrete, or Navarrete, however you say it, and Eduardo Baez, you know, Baez is coming off like a a, a sturdy performance, um, you know, against a fighter that a lot of people think a fair amount of when it comes to uh, Aline at 122. That was, uh, I mean, I don't know if it was a majority, it was a majority decision, I think, you know, I do think Aleem won the fight, more of a 6-4, 7-3, probably 6-4, so I don't really think it should have been a draw. But I kind of think people are not really – know. I mean, he did get a fight in, uh, actually against uh, Enrique Vivas. We just saw him in action. He won that in a very competitive fight. Um, it's not like he has a great resume, but he's beaten some – some pretty solid fighters on the prospect level. So um, as long as uh, Eduardo can come up 126, which is only four pounds, um, and it's not like he's a, a, a really short guy either. He has a 70-inch reach. Now he's going to need it <laughs> against a guy like Navarrete who's got a 72-inch reach. He's actually taller than him. So I think that could be interesting too. There's a lot of just good quality fights this weekend that are just kind of on the hardcore level. But obviously, the Usyk and Joshua stands out the most. We're going to go in order. 925, you'll be after Carcino if you're still hanging in. Carcino for life, what's going on, man? How the hell are you? I'm doing well right now. Uh, I decided to release this uh, interview or conversation with me and Royce to 5'9", so that's on the page okay. right now, up that's and on, going. But, that's yeah, on there right now? You just released it? Yeah, it's just released. It was going live. Right. Everybody Perfect. It. it was on the Patreon, uh, but I just said, you know what, let it go. There we go. All right. I was going nice. to wait a while, but it had been probably decadent by then, so I said, let it go now. So now everybody can see it. There we have it. So, you know, we're coming off of Teofima Lopez uh, getting a get-back fight, right? That's basically what it was. And yeah. him and, and Lopez Sr. were big on their next fight being for a belt. They didn't say they wouldn't fight Ryan Garcia or other fighters or anything like that, but they were really focused in on a belt. Obviously, 140 top rank has the Jose Ramirez, Zapata, Progre, uh, Taylor. They have the most talent when it comes to 140. So this is a great place for them, but all those guys I mentioned are either tied up with a fight Taylor Catterall and Zapata Progre, which I'm really looking forward to. And Jose Ramirez, you know, had the 
the wedding conflict. So he is now, he made a deal with the WBC that he gets the winner of that fight. It really kind of feels like Barboza is the guy that he's going to fight, especially if Lopez, they're talking about returning him on ESPN in primetime in December in that Heisman slot that we know oh so well that top ranking ESPN tries to take advantage of every year. Um, what do you think of Tiafimo's performance? And then how do you see him, you know, uh, getting it on with these guys in the next, let's say, year or two, because it will take some time, even if Barbosa's next, who's a good outside boxer, good, solid opponent. How do you see him fitting in at 140, and what do you think of his uh, performance this last Saturday night from Tiafimo? Um, I thought it was uh, decent for him. I mean, um, I didn't really see too much of a push. I could see the the awkwardness uh kind of threw off his opponent, Opponent, you know, the, the class level. Uh, his opponent wasn't ready for this moment, uh, being on this uh, side of the stage. So it was a showcase fight. And now you yeah, see the situation. Yeah, you see that the situation has turned, and Barbosa is the kind of fight that brings the attention. That, that's really going to tell me where he is at this weight class because Barbosa is a full-fledged 140 <laughs> fighter, so he's going to really bring it and bring the best out of Lopez. Lopez is more of an instinctive fighter, more reflexes than just really boxing skills. He mostly uses his athleticism and, you know, just instincts in the ring uh, to fight. When he falls, uh, uh, Lomachenko, he actually stuck to a game plan. And that was the first time they really had a game plan going into a fight. And it worked to perfection by him using his size and going to the body as much as he did to break, break him down. But now that he's been humbled, you know, you want to see how a fighter comes back after being humbled in a fight. And I think they're taking this, like, step-by-step step for a reason. You know, I don't think you're going to see him jump try to fight, uh, you know, uh, Devin Haney right now. You know, it's going to be a 140. So until Haney probably, you know, all those guys settle in at the weight classes and do what they want to do, that, that fight will be down the road. But I think him fighting Barbosa and Ramirez after would be huge for him. You know, it's uh, yeah. I think that those are the two biggest fights for him. Uh, Regis Progre, it, it all depends on what happened with Regis. But, you know, it's almost like they got a mini tournament going on over there. At yeah, exactly. Rank. I'll yeah. just talk to Bob Arum tomorrow uh, and see how he feels about this. But I didn't get a chance to speak to him yet. So it's... You know, the future looks bright for Teofimo Lopez right now. Uh, Got plenty of fights at 140, no doubt about that. And yeah, hey, yeah, top he feels healthier is, at the weight, too. So, yeah, they can be made. That's the key, right? Yeah, because, see, 30 and 130 and definitely, uh, I mean, 135, 130, mostly 135 and 140, top rank is, has taken the advantage there. Yeah. As far as having all the big fighters, 
where it used to be uh, PBC kind of had the 140s and then it went up to 147 and then uh, 54 and all that. But now they seem to be concerned with welterweights and junior welterweights and and some of the middleweights. But now that uh, 140 division, which was always a hotbed for the launching pad of everybody going to 47. Right. Now that belongs to top rank when you before 140 had all the PBC fighters. And I was like, man, PBC got all these guys at 140. This is going to blow. Like when these guys go to 47, we're going to have some great fights. You know, so we saw a lot of great uh, matches come out of those. But I think that's the best approach for him. Barbosa will definitely be a tough opponent for him. That's going to let me know where Teofimo Lopez is. I think his ability to use his athleticism on Barbosa and change the angles and switch, that might help him a lot. But Barbosa is going to make him fight when he doesn't want to fight and probably lure him into a firefight. And that's something he's going to have to learn how to deal with, is being in a firefight without having trying to go fire for fire, how to be relaxed and still dictate the pace and fight your style. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right about 140 because with, you know, now the last few years where, you know, certain entities have certain deals with this one network, uh, the key is to try to get as many guys under in that weight class and then you can really mix them up and the the politics uh, gets out of it. So they they definitely have a a variety of fights to be made and it does kind of look like Barboza's next. Now with this fight coming up, Alexander Usyk, Anthony Joshua, the rematch. Um, you know, a lot of there, there's people that just kind of think it's well, it's it's all. They're just going to have to ring the bell. Usyk will just outbox him again. There's really not much in this fight. There is a camp of saying, well, hold on, Anthony Joshua's not going to fight the way he did in the first fight. He does need to get back to following up on good shots, throwing combinations, going to the body. I thought John earlier uh, made a a good point about there there were times that Gassi, even a little with Breedis, did bother Usyk with some pretty good uh, heavy, you know, uh, body shots, and he even admitted it, like John was saying. Um, Obviously, AJ, like I said earlier, is not going to go Tasmanian devil. He's not going to throw 100 and, you know, 15 punches in a round. That's not even what we're asking for him. But he does need to come forward more, not just throw a jab and look for one big shot, to throw combinations. You know, when he throws punches for a heavyweight in his size, they're pretty quick. They're fluid. They got pop and power on them. Can he make a difference with just one camp, you know, one camp with Robert Garcia who will be, by the way, if he's down on the card, screaming at him to come forward. Do you think AJ can put a dent in the Usyk early enough to make Usyk kind of get out of the pocket and score less points and, and encounter him less and, and whatnot? Do you think that Anthony Joshua has a legit chance to win this rematch? Uh, no. I, I think um... – <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. And I only say that because it's mental. Like, uh, I think yeah. with him, it's mental. And once he starts it, once he starts trying to bring the fight to Usyk, because I, I think he, he figured his style out and then was able to time him 
a little bit better coming in. So he'll have a much better fight, I think, starting off than what he did uh, when he ended the fight. But I thought he did a lot better for himself near the end of the fight. And I said, okay, well, he's doing a lot well. But by that time, he had been hurt a couple times. And it was only a matter of time. It's about his chin. And I've always questioned his his um, clean test and all the things about him when he came out because he was getting dropped even when he was, you know, young in the game when he had muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. And he was just all built all the way up like a machine and how he was bouncing up from getting hit and not dropped with right hand. <laughs> and just bouncing up with all this energy. Now you see him get touched. He's very nervous, and his, like, balance is off. And he's not, like, even getting hit, like, on the chin. He's taking shots, like, on the temple and on the head, grazing shots, and they're knocking off his equilibrium. And that's a very bad sign. That's a, that's a sign of saying that, you're not going to be able to take the punishment and the punches and keep coming forward. He's going to want to box and stay away from Usyk and try to use his, his range and his distance to keep Usyk at bay. Usyk is going to set traps for him, same as he did in the first fight, but he's going to be willing to get in there and scrap and bang it out with him and attack him at angles. And he's going to be able to get those shots off using a jab and dictating the pace of the fight. Joshua is going to have to sell out in order to win, and I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to cower. And, and he's the what try if, to force the it. unknowns now for Usyk, they're not there now, right? Going into that, they had to yeah. think, especially off his first two heavyweight fights where he didn't look that great, didn't look like the weight was on him all that well, and and so he's going to be more confident coming into this rematch. I mean, oh, definitely. going off what you said mentally in general. Yeah, because he, he came in it believing that I can win this fight. It's there. <laughs> and this is the same reason Andre Ward wanted to take this fight. This is what his fight was and his plan was, was to come to heavyweight and beat Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua was the only guy he chose to fight at heavyweight because he felt I could beat Anthony Joshua at a boxing match. I could outbox Anthony Joshua. And when he saw Usyk and he saw everybody beat him, he's like, well, now it doesn't make sense if I come out in retirement and fight Anthony Joshua because everyone's beating him. But that was my plan. I was going to fight Anthony Joshua, win the heavyweight title, and then retire. That was my, you know, his layout for moving up in weight because he felt he could do it, but only against Joshua. He felt that his style matched up, and he could definitely catch Anthony Joshua enough and box him and beat him boxing. So he didn't fear. And Yusek found out that he could deal with Joshua's power and that he's not really physical. Anthony Joshua is not a physical guy. Yeah, as big as right. he is, you, you would He's not going to put his weight physical. on him like Fury did Wilder, right? He's not that type exactly. of guy. Exactly. He doesn't know how to use his size because he's not a physical guy. It's sort of like LeBron James. LeBron James is a big guy, but he's not really physical. He doesn't like physical contact. You know, like people like Kobe Bryant who loved it. You know, he loves the physicality of it. It's the same thing as 
like most of these other fighters in there, they're used to that physical, you know, just going at it, you know, going to war. And he's been in a lot of you know, been in there with some real punches and have been punched. And all of those things kind of have an effect. And then when you start cutting muscle like he did, it makes you vulnerable like Roy Jones. When Roy Jones cut all that muscle when he went up in weight and came back down, he didn't have the resistance anymore to take the shots. Because when he cut weight, he cut a lot of muscle. And then you got to rebuild the muscle all over again but stay at that weight. It destroyed his body. And when he came back and fought Tauber, he ran out of juice in the first fight. He was exhausted after cutting so much weight and coming from heavyweight back down to, like, lightweight. That was, that was like, crazy amount of weight he had to cut and lose all that muscle. So the second fight, he got knocked out. Then he got knocked out by Glenn. It just, it was over. The whole run regime was over. So it's the same thing with AJ. AJ cut a lot of weight and a lot of muscle to be, he said he wanted to be more faster. But I felt the crackdown was coming. Everybody's taking blood and urine tests, and they're cracking down on these PEDs and special drugs that people were uh, rumored to have taken allegedly, and I think guys had to start cleaning up their act. So you start seeing guys get a little smaller and a lot leaner, and now the resistance to take these big punches is to have an effect. And I blame Eddie Hearn and Al Heyman for screwing up the fight with Wilder and AJ, trying to milk it and make it bigger and what it was, and I was on this show, and I told people, I said, you can't keep doing that with these fighters because these are not two fighters in which you can keep doing that with. These guys could get loose at any given time. These are not the guys that you can, they're going to keep winning and building the fight up. I'm like, you're putting them in a fight where one of these guys are going to get knocked out. I'm like, Wilder is known for losing rounds. And a lot of his fights he won, he was losing the fight on the card. Yeah. <laughs> and he just catch the guy and knock him out. But he's, like, getting outboxed in a lot of these, these fights he did. So I'm like, you're, you're playing Russian roulette and rolling the dice. Now, if they actually Usopp decided. Will maybe stop AJ this time? Uh, I don't like know maybe if he stopped Maybe potentially, but. You think it's a decision, I think it probably? Because I think, I think he's going to hurt AJ with another shot. I believe the left hand is going to be too much, and I don't think he adjusted to that southpaw style at heavyweight. I just really don't think AJ is he's going to get cracked again, and I want to see how he takes it and how he responds after yeah. getting hit. Because it's all mental with him. And once he see it all flipping away, how is he going to respond? Because the thing about Yusuf that I like is that when he fights at an angle, he goes after the body, he's, which was surprising. He'll get in there and mix it up with you, but he's going to – if you catch him with one shot, you're not going to catch him with two. And that's something that 
That's something that AJ used to do. He used to throw a combination, boom, boom, right to the body, and the guy will still be there for the, like two, three shots. Right. You're not going to get that with Usyk. With Usyk, you're going to get one. Or if you get that one off, AJ's going to have to jab. He's going to have to use an authoritative jab. To, you can't just hang the jab out there. You're going to have to put something on it. You have to step into your jab. You're going to have to stay, use the distance, make him use all his body weight and all his energy trying to work to get in to get right. If he stays behind the stick, the knockout will come for him, or he'll at least get a cut on Usyk coming in. Let him find you. Let him go through hell trying to get to you. And that way you're dictating the pace. But what he can't do is, like he did in the first fight, abandon his jab and start thinking defense. I got to keep my guard up yeah. and not putting a jab out there. And it was killing him. Yusuf's jab was right on the money. Pop, pop, pop. And he was in rhythm. And he did nothing to disturb that rhythm anymore. He was in rhythm and, pretty much that whole fight, dude, and especially the last <laughs> yeah. second half. I mean, he was showing us stuff he barely even showed against cruiserweights. It was like, oh, okay, damn. And you're still right here in the pocket. Like, it was impressive. Yeah, and the it thing was is very is that AJ kind of figured out, okay, I know what he's doing now. And he started catching him a little bit. And then Usyk still made an adjustment and just decided, like, he was just taking the rounds off, like resting pretty much, saving it up because he had threw a lot of punches in the round prior. But still, he, he figured it out, like, okay, I know what he's doing. I can time him coming in. I can catch him with a counter shot. His hands are a little low now. I can catch him. But I got to go with the stick. And, and when he used the jab, he had success. I'm like, wow, when you're using your jab, it's working. Then he'll go away from it. And Usyk would change the angles by using these feints. And he could not, he could not get his timing right. So when he couldn't get his timing right, I think that's what did him in. When he couldn't get that timing all the way down the way he wanted, I think that messed everything up for him. Because he's like, man, this throws my timing off because his head movement, the movement of the gloves, he he always keeps movement coming in, music. And then he gets low. And sometimes he'll loop the left hand over, <laughs> and it would surprise him. He'll get caught with it, pop. I'm like, my goodness, man. This thing is really being the ring general. He's beating, he's beating AJ to the spot in the ring, and he's controlling it, and he's fighting it at his pace. And if that happens, I don't know if he stops AJ or AJ just quits mentally and give up, but it's – it's going to be I – th- I don't think you should lose the fight at all. I-, I can't see AJ making an adjustment in one fight and, like, knocking you. I just yeah, can't I think that's that. I can't see that. Yeah, I think you should know now, like, this guy can't hurt me. Like, this guy will right. not stop me. <laughs> like, I-, I got his whole style down. Like, nope, he won't be able to do that. So – I'm looking forward to it. Any other items uh, from the weekend coming up or anything that you want to uh, discuss here on the show, Garcino? Uh Yeah. Uh, Sergey uh, Lipnitz uh, stepping in for Adrian Broner against uh, 
uh, what's my guy? Figueroa. Figueroa, yeah. So, Adrian Broner steps in, claims mental illness, and I mean, mental health is the reason why he's stepping out. And I really think this is the last time that they're going to deal with him. And he's like, I hope they understand people know that mental health is serious. Nobody doubts about mental health being serious. That's not the question here. What's the question and what's at stake is the simple fact that there is people in this world that is really suffering from it, where it's really, you know, altering them, where people are telling me he wasn't taking camp serious enough and he wasn't, like, in shape and cutting the weight. They couldn't make this another catchweight fight. For AD, this was it. He wasn't going to make weight. They knew it. He wasn't going to make the sacrifice to make the weight. And th- that was just it. So now he's claiming mental health and all this nonsense. But there it is. <laughs> Adrian Broner is going to be uh, done. So Sergey Lipman is going to step in for him and take his place. How does this change the fight? Uh, I think Figueroa wins. I think uh, Figueroa is a little too slick for Sergei uh, Lipnitz. It, it should be a decent fight, but again, not the type of fight. Yeah, it's a they good mid-level fight or whatever, you know, that could be too, yeah, should be two-way and stuff. But yeah, yeah, it is, uh, I'm just glad that they have a a good replacement, you know, because uh, it would suck if somehow this thing got canceled. And all well, Sergey was supposed to gone. be on that card, I think, anyway. He is, yeah. I, yeah, he is. Yeah, he was so the think... backup. They had a backup ready. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's cool. So the that thing is, is, is that with Adrian Broner and his problem is um, he just really wants to be paid a mega amount of money, and he wants all these Amiga accommodations when he thinks he's still the draw. He doesn't get it. Boxing don't care about you after a couple of years. They, they don't care about Floyd Mayweather really right now. Like he's not. This game is quicker than anybody in the world. If you're outside that ring and not fighting, they don't care about what you're doing. Especially your so last you uh, performance four. Right, help. and it's, it's the thing is that you're losing like the majority of your fights. I think he won, like, maybe one fight in, like, the last five fights. He's, like, one in five. (laughs) So it's not like you're out here stacking up victories and you keep thinking, like, oh, I got the hood with me. They're going to support me. They're only going to support you if they see you winning. It's cool to do all this talking, but you got to have a W behind it. You've had some pitiful performances to go along with that. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It'll be interesting to see if if he fights again this year or what. You know, yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how 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 this goes. It really I is. Agree. So yeah, that so, like was I that said, was it so far. What right. you saying? No, I, like we said though, I'm glad that they have a suitable uh, opponent as a replacement because it does. Uh, that was the interest in this fight is both of them are coming off poor performances. 
who wants it more in this crossroads fight? That's kind of what sold it for me, this fight, to watch it and have interest in it. I did, I was, like I said earlier, I am more interested in the undercard, but um, we know with, with Broner trains and with Figueroa trains, they're entertaining in the ring. You know, they've shown it time and time again, but they've also shown it time and time again lately, or not, you know, last few years. They're inconsistent. They miss weight. You know, it's that's why I think it was actually a decent match because it's like, well, these guys are in the same spot. But Lipinitz is, in a, you know, coming to a crossroads fight too. He's not young either. So I actually think Lipinitz will win this fight. But I am hoping, kind of like I was hoping Broner and Figueroa would both be so focused that they come in and give give kind of a performance of, hey, these guys were pretty good at one time. Uh, you know, someone's ready. To, to finish the last couple of their years of their career because whoever wins the fight was going to get some sort of, you know, was going to continue to make some solid money. But uh, I do appreciate you calling in. Any other uh, items, sir? We definitely check out that uh, video you got on that's premiering right now on YouTube as we speak. Oh, yeah. But, uh, no, that was it. But you're right. That was the interest in the fight because he has problems right. making weight, too. Both of them have. Both of them have been inconsistent. Yeah, lately. Really? You know, that's Figueroa's the last problem. Fights, both was like, eh. yeah, that's yeah, big time. Figueroa, like his his, he used to walk around at like two hundred pounds, out there in Texas. So Sean <laughs> right. would see him, and people would be like, man, yeah, he walks around at like two hundred pounds, and then he sweats down and said, oh, I can do it. I was, I, was, I like getting big and eating what I want, and then when it's time I get in shape, and then he start having injuries start hurting his hands and he had to start postponing fights because he was walking around too big and he couldn't control himself. Now his younger brother, the father really stopped dealing with him and started working with the younger brother. And now the younger Figueroa is, you know, much better because he's more disciplined than his yeah, uh, older exactly. brother. So big time difference. Yeah. There. Yeah. But he still got the slick moves, ability, changing angles. It's just that if he could make weight, you know, I feel he would be all right. A lot better off. Well, uh, we'll talk to you next week if you got some time next Monday. Um, enjoy uh, the fight, sir. Actually, it's going to be Sunday. Sunday night, I forgot. I'm going out of town next week earlier, so it's going to be Sunday night. Uh, just a heads up. Okay. Yeah, and then Will Sunday Floyd, night. I think he wanted to do an interview with you. Yeah, I remember I you think saying I think... that. Yeah. So um, definitely, yeah, we'll give him a call. Works, whichever, yep, whichever works for me. Next week, Sunday or or the week after is fine, or whenever. Okay, cool. You know, I appreciate you calling in, Carcino. All right, thanks for having me on, buddy. Anytime. Yes, sir. Take it easy. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, so I got some messages about. I'm just gonna go right to the betting odds, okay? Because some people are like, hey. This is a mismatch, Chris. What are you talking about? 925, I'm about to go to you in a second here, just so you know. Uh, there's still 12 minutes left of the live stream, so we can fit you in. Um, but I was saying, do-do-do-do, uh, if you think that Puelu is going to just walk through that opponent, he's a he's a, a slight underdog. You can get him as high as plus 176 right now. Just so you know, if you think he's going to walk through Akhmadev, cool. But it's still a competitive fight. I mean, even against Barrios, who was like uh, the lower part of the top 10 at 140, 
he knocked him down twice. He was right in that fight, he, or he got knocked down twice. He just, you know, uh, but he was in that fight. He was definitely in that fight. As, as far as Hector uh, Garcia is a favorite. Uh, Roger Gutierrez, I see plus 230. That's the high. I see. Plus 190 is the low. So to me, th- those are competitive fights. You don't get a bunch of, I mean, you, do, you just don't get a lot of where they're both minuses. You don't get a lot of Spence Crawford. If you look at where Spence Crawford's listed right now, you don't get a lot of those. Now, Joshua, at the highest I see right now, is plus 175 as an underdog. So, like I said, that's, that is the most equal fight on paper, on the betting line of the weekend, um, which is dope because it's actually a main event too, right? Anyway, let's go out to 925. You're live on Rope-A-Dope Radio. What's going on? Who's this? Lukey. Lukey. What's going on, Lukey? I didn't know it was you, man. I wish you uh, would have messaged me. I would have tried to get you on a little bit earlier, man. How you doing, man? No, it's, it's all worries. It's no worries. I just was listening to the show. Whatever you want to talk about, I'll talk about it. I just wanted to call in. Nice Monday well, I appreciate night show, you. you know. Yeah, man. I appreciate you calling in. Um, what do you think about this Usyk AJ? Actually, uh, I was just checking out check out his the YouTube channel uh, in the podcast and the website in general from Louis. And the newsletter I just, too. I got I got in a the newsletter. newsletter now. So five dollars, you get like four things exclusive and my actual opinions, which you don't really get anywhere else. So. Nice. Yeah, I'm glad no. that you brought the newsletter. That's right. I remember you uh, saying that you're going to, um, you know, put some of your contact uh, or your, your uh, God damn it, what the hell's wrong with the, you can hear me, right? I can hear you. No, I mean, I hate okay. doing a paywall, bro, but like I give people a lot of free stuff. So if you enjoy what hey, I do. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. Just, just throw a little bit of money so it keeps me motivated and I'm going to, I'm going to give you a ton of stuff. So you're just going to get a ton of stuff. So. But this isn't it about is me, true. it's about you. No, but it is true, though. He does, like, if you look at, he pumps out a lot of content throughout a week, no doubt about it. Speaking of, A.J. Usyk, man, how does this one play out? I mean, it's kind of weird because, like, so for me, I, I've been listening to all the callers and stuff, and you have a great boxing mind, right, Chris, because you see what I see. Usyk is a great boxer, but he's more of a lateral mover. He's not like a guy that's just going to take off on a bike. He's going to more like spin you like a top than ride around the city and give you a tour. Um, That being said, Saudi Arabia is kind of sketchy, and I feel like the fact that this fight was made out of pure greed, um, USA didn't get streaming rights until like basically yesterday. Yeah. It's hard to not look at a fight like this and worry about corruption. Because, like, everything else is just utterly about greed. And it's so apparent this fight is going there strictly because of Joshua that if there's any form of a close fight, does Usyk have a chance? That being said, Usyk always wins on the road. Usyk's more talented. It just screams to me, like, if Usyk had won the first fight, there's no rematch. Or if Joshua won the first fight, there's no yeah, rematch. This sure. is why boxing sucks sometimes. This is a clear case of the wrong guy won, so hopefully the guy we like, the superhero, can right. win. 
you know, and it's yeah. And all it all it would take is to get to hurt him or knock him down once or whatever, like you said, to make the the scorecard close at all. He would get it, and like we said, he already has an announcement for a, a contract that's going to pay him fifty million dollars a fight. So that you're you're making a lot of sense here, actually. <laughs> you definitely are. I mean, it, it's like imagine if there was another sport, right? So you watch football, right, and. Imagine yep. if the Super Bowl was happening on Sunday and then Tom Brady was announcing what he's going to do on it with his network. <laughs> right, a lot, yeah. Like what team he, like th- there's a lot of red flags here, right? And it's like sure. that's what bothers me about this fight is from a purist standpoint, I'm very excited to see how the fight plays out. From someone working in boxing, there's a lot of things that bring up ethical issues to me. I don't really like Saudi Arabia being able to sports wash and – kind of get away from their human rights violations by just simply putting on big boxing shows and paying people a lot. And then beyond that, I don't understand. I don't know what judges are being brought in. I don't know what referee is being brought in. And I don't know what people are being told coming into the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, because that's a different place than any other place in the world outside of certain places. Are these people that are vetted? How much are they being taken care of? I feel like a lot is going to be stacked against Usyk. That's a good point, man. That is a really, really good point. Now, we could say that he did get a, a decision, you know, in the U.K., but this is a different circumstance, and it wasn't like it was this, you know, 11-to-1 fight or whatever. It was competitive, and, and Joshua down the stretch uh, didn't make it competitive as much as, you know, Usyk really – didn't fade, you know, at all. Um, but that's a good point. And it's something you do have to I mean, Yeah, because the promoter, his promoter, you know, we we talk about a site fee. This isn't a site fee, you know. This isn't, hey, we'll give you $10 million to have the fight here. He sold the whole fight to him um, and cashed out in one way. But like you said, though, I mean, clearly they, 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 they definitely, everyone involved besides Usyk's people, uh, definitely want AJ to win. And, I mean, to me, this is like, if AJ loses this fight, he's obviously not a Hall of Famer, right? Like, there's no way you could really view him as a Hall of Famer, great British fighter. I agree. This yep. is him to follow in the footsteps of Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis always won the rematch, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. this is for him to stay the course of being, I'm the modern Lennox Lewis, right? Which he totally sure. is. Sure, But yep. because... If he wins the rematch, that narrative can go. It could be marketing. Wins, yeah, that's true. He goes from being like already a Hall of Famer to like basically a modern great. You know, he's he's. Then we have to ask: Can we get Fury Usyk? You know, we have to right. look for those type of things. But I mean, to me, it's interesting because Usyk quite possibly could be what we thought Lomachenko was. Where it's like, here's this generational fighter, and when Loma came yeah, out, we're so funny. excited. Nope. But right. now he's kind of doing what we thought Loma would do. And Joshua, it's like sure. he's got so many extra lives because of the marketing behind him. People want him to be so much better than he is. Like, he's just a little bit better than Frank Bruno. The era is just not as good. So it's like mm-hmm. you can get more out of it, you know? And it's like his path to getting to where he's at. He strategically fought guys who were at major disadvantages against him who either held world titles or high rankings. I mean, his 
his record isn't all that impressive, to be honest. No, you're right. I don't think he is a Hall of Famer yet. Uh, that is true. I know a lot of people will probably push back at that, but I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, the the version of Klitschko that he fought, it was a great fight. He gasped for like two straight rounds when he was hurt. and You know, a younger Klitschko probably would have taken him out. There's, there's a variety of ways we're not taking anything away from that victory. That Klitschko. Right, Theory the one before, yeah, Klitschko. Right. And and unlock Pandora's box. Klitschko had it seeded out from too. losing. You know, he did, did it, it easily. It was boring. Yep. And I don't think Joshua takes that fight if Fury had a loss to Klitschko. They took the fight because he had lost, and it was a big gamble. And then it was like, okay, let's preserve it. And then it it was really kind of let's ride through here and let's just create yeah, leverage. They added some the problem to it. with boxing. They added yeah. a belt or two to it, like a vacant belt to make it bigger, too. The new scam with all these boxing promoters, and everyone's guilty of it, is get a good fighter who's marketable. Kind of get him in kind of, I don't want to say sham fights, but kind of like sparring partner type bouts where they can earn a lot of money and the guys come in to fight them, and they earn a lot of money. And it, it's great for the ecosystem of the fighters, but what hurts is, they just prolong these fights. Then they put out the myth of, like, um, these promoters can't work together. Well, look, if we look at the PBC card, didn't don't people say PBC and Golden Boy don't work together? Uh, Roger yeah. Gutierrez, a Golden Boy fighter, is fighting Hector Luis Garcia. Like, these, yeah, on the these main promo- card. All boxing's about – yeah, it's like there's all these promoters will work together. It's it's just about greed. It's, if the money's yeah, right, it's about when and what, work. you know. What yeah. they're willing to sacrifice and all that. Yeah, no, that's true. The weaker fights sometimes, although the one you just mentioned is two top five, top seven guys. So that is definitely yeah, not we'll, a weak we'll matchup. But it's a lower yeah, matchup, we'll lower money, so it doesn't matter as much. That is a good point. But, I mean, it's like we, we hear all these stories, oh, it's about this, it's about that. What we've been indoctrinated is about ego. These guys, the best fighters, need to make the most money when – a lot of times if we look at the past or when we look at it works, there's a meeting in the middle ground for the legacy, right? And that, I think that's what's bothering us about Spence Crawford is it feels like that fight should get made because someone should be more reasonable and be like, okay, I'll take this gigantic sum of money as opposed to this astronomical one that I'm asking for because I want to say I'm the best of the era. And I think that's what's hurting boxing right now is a lot of fans are looking at like UFC and they're they're seeing these fighters, maybe they're not getting paid as well, but they're seeing those fighters no, chase for yeah. the legacy. The and I think that what's quick. hurting boxing. The fight's happening quick, yeah. period. But, I mean, it's like we look, and it's like Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, Teofimo Lopez, Devin Haney. There's realistically, we don't see any of those guys fight in the next four years. And that really turns people off. And realistically, there's no reason why at least a couple of those fights shouldn't happen, at least in the next year. Yeah. No, you're right about that. And, and you know, the, the flip side is, you know, back in the day, some guys were so screwed on their their contract where they had six people eating off of it because I'll say a 10% to get, the, to get a major fight, you had to sell 10% of this guy's future income just to get the fight. And all of a sudden, so then they're just hard up on money and they got to do it. So some of the fights happen for that reason, but... You're right. They're, they're pushing it away, and 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 you it's know, there's, there's a to the other yeah. side now. 
That's the issue is in the – I don't want to say names, but we used to have the era of the Don Kings, right, that were notorious for these not great contracts. Now we've almost got the era where fighters are getting too good at contracts, right? Ryan Garcia, he's never won a world title. He's fighting for $2 million. I right, no, there was definitely some overpaying. Yeah. No, it messed up and the market. That is a good point. The guarantees well, like, are higher. There's, that's in the undeniable. But see, I'm not a ma- I'm not mad at the guarantees being higher because someone like David Benavidez deserves to be paid fairly. I just feel like some of that the mandatory shouldn't come from your social media following. They should come from competing against the best fighters. And if you fight against a top ten guy multiple times, right. you're a hundred thousand dollar fighter. If you win a world title. Mandatories go up. I'm not against fighter pay. What I'm against are people getting anointed or maneuvered strategically in a way yeah, just to get more money and then avoiding fights that right. a legacy and then us having to deal with people defending that basically to be like, well, like, example, like I really like Tank Davis, but someone will be like, well, Tank Davis shouldn't have to fight Devin Haney because he sells a lot of arenas. Sells out arenas. I understand that. That's great, but the business of boxing at a certain point, like, does he want to go to the Hall of Fame? Because it's like he's probably rich over these next couple of years. He's got to get some wins because we're looking at Demetrius Andre. He's not going to go to the Hall of Fame because his resume doesn't have it. Leo Santa Cruz probably not going to the Hall of Fame because of the resume. I just am looking for some of these fighters that are the the marquee fighters of this next generation to – to want to carry the sport, you know? I don't see the pride in the sport is what I'm saying. Well, I appreciate it. At any time, this uh, the stream may cut off, just so you know. Um, so that's what happens if, if it happens. Any other okay. – so, so what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on the outcome? Do you think – forget the, the scorecards, right? Obviously, it's hard <laughs> to do that. Um, but do you see – Kind of a re a rinse Usyk and repeat. Stops him. I think Usyk okay, stops okay. him because well, that'd be a way to I win think, it. <laughs> well, I think Usyk's going in there with the mindset of stopping him, and I think he's actually going to sure. be a little bit emotional because I think this war is affecting him more than we think. Because I saw the fight week photos, and he's wearing something of Ukrainian colors, and it was something kind of like war themed. And it made me think that, like, he's going into this very, very emotional, which is different. So it's like either he's going to – I think that the outcome is going to be a knockout. Joshua is either going to knock out Usyk because his mind isn't there, or Usyk's just going to brutally outclass Joshua and just basically make him quit. Because in the 12th round when Joshua went to the corner, if there was a 13th round, Joshua wasn't coming out. So it's like he did kind of break Joshua in that. Yeah, I think but he definitely I think, did. Yeah, he looked like he was about to cry. No broke. disrespect. You know, it's like if Joshua, I was telling someone when we watched it, if he had lifted his arms up and acted like he won the fight, there would have been people on the internet that thought he won. He didn't, but I mean, right. he could have just done that and people would oh, I think he won. But the fact that he basically felt so much punishment and he sat on his stool, that was telling to me because he – he basically felt, looked, and acted like he was beat up. It's true, and he, in, 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 in his mind, when he says stuff like, "Well, I thought I was winning," if that's the case, you're just 
you're really blocking the truth at that point, and that's even a, a deeper issue. Make sure you follow uh, Lukey, of course, Lukey Boxing, the podcast, um, the Inside the Ropes. No, don't, channel, don't worry YouTube about channel. that stuff. Like, just follow Chris. Keep up with this great show. If you like me, just figure out how to follow me. But follow Chris's show. He's got a fantastic show. He's one of the best people in boxing. I'm around. If if you like me, just you'll stumble across me if you want to stumble across me, okay? There you have it. Look, you take Chris, it easy, man. You know, and it, and leave Chris a five-star review on iTunes, too. He needs there those. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That's a good call. I got All right, buddy. I, got I, I appreciate it, man. You take it easy. Peace. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.